Spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of art. It's the Tenant Podcast. I'm Todd Pearson coming to you from the 40 West Arts District here in Lakewood, Colorado. And joining me from his podcast studio on the road of enchantment in beautiful Rapid City, South Dakota, my co-host, you know him as quite possibly the most interesting man in the world, Wes Brown. Todd, how you doing? Another week. Oh my God. Mid-February now. Isn't this crazy? February. It's hard to believe. We're just cruising through this year. It does. Um, it is. haven't seen you in a little bit. Oh, been... I feel like, um, yeah, I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. I was definitely having Todd withdrawals. Really? Yeah. And it's hard to come down from that. So yeah, I don't we might have to, um, I might have to get some more Todd time in the next few <laughs> weeks just to, uh, come to equilibrium. Okay. What have you been up to, man? Oh, just, uh, just work really work and what I'm taking care of my dad and, um, trying to live the the dream so in beautiful enchantment road <laughs> how about you what have you been up to it sounds like you've been pretty busy i have and uh been out trying to see some art see some galleries see some shows went up to uh the firehouse art center in longmont yesterday to see amy lummis's show that we just yeah. had on a couple of weeks ago i got snowed um, out of that i was gonna go and it the storm came through so she said that that night of the opening was terrible. Yeah, yeah. Like they ended up having to stay in Longmont. To, yeah. Even the next day I tried to get the Cheyenne and it was just like, nope, turning around. Really? Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, I was sad to see miss it. So, Well, it's up till March 3rd. Oh, well, maybe I still um, have a moment to do it. Yeah. So Spit and Splinters, March 3rd, Firehouse Art up in Longmont. You can check it out via their website, firehouseart.org. And um, Amy is doing a artist talk next week on Sunday from three to five, talking about that body of work. Nice. That'd be a great time to go. Yep. And got to walk around Longmont a little bit and check out some of the other galleries there. Saw some work of our friend Cody Keel. Nice. In a gallery called Helios Gallery, which was pretty nice. And actually found... A couple really nice uh, photo books and a used bookstore downtown. So sweet. It was an afternoon well spent. Good for you, man. Those are like gold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to find photography books these days. They're going kind of gone the way of the dinosaur. So exactly. And, or they're ex- really expensive. I'm pretty lucky about picking them up at my local thrift store. Nice. But if I see a used bookstore, I definitely beeline. And find the photography uh, section and see if there's anything good hiding out in there. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, you want to talk some art? Let's talk art. That's, I'm All excited. Right. I am too. It's been <laughs> got to get back in the flow here. That's right. Just want to remind everyone, you can always find out what we're up to via our social media on Instagram at Tenant Podcast and our Tenant Podcast Facebook page. And of course, our website, tenantpodcast.com. Our guest this week is an integral part of the Colorado Springs art community. She is a well-respected photographer, curator, and gallery owner. After many years of running one of the top galleries in the Colorado Springs area, she recently joined forces with her partner in art, Gundaga Stevens, to open Arc Gallery, combining her gallery, Kreuzer, with G44. 
You can follow Auric Gallery on Instagram at Auric Gallery and check out the gallery via their website, auricgallery.com. Abigail, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you guys? Great. Good. Fantastic. For having me. Yeah. Absolutely. It's our pleasure for sure. So I got to ask, so how did you come up with the name Auric? Uh, we had, that was the hardest part of figuring out our business is the name. <clears throat> we sat on it for a long time and nothing was feeling quite right. And Gundy at one point decided to put, well, she put my name and her name into, um, you know, to see what it made together and nothing good came of that. Um, and then she put in Aria and Caius, which are our children's names. And that's how Orc came about. Um, as soon as she said it, um, we both got chills because we both are pretty spiritual, all about aura. We like to sage the gallery in between shows. And the fact that it's made up of our children just makes it that much better. Well, that's super special. Yeah, yeah, I would have um, I would have gotten worried if you put like if Todd and Wes put their name together and it didn't come up with anything good. I'd probably yeah. said this is a big red flag. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Abigail and Gundaga have some hard consonants in it, and it just nothing like rolled off the tongue. The meanings behind it, you know. Right, so, right. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you landed on a very special name. So congratulations on that. So thank you, thank you. We're we're very excited about it. And reading about your journey, it sounds like you've always been kind of a serial entrepreneur. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Where does that come from? Uh, it comes from my family, really. Um, when I was in high school, my mom and dad decided to open up a coffee shop called Purple Mountain Coffee. And from the time I was 15 up until then, I had worked as a barista. So they threw me into managing their coffee shop. And then from there, um, I went to school. I don't know if I'm jumping ahead too much, but I went to school. And before I graduated college, I signed up for my EIN before I moved back home so that I could start my business right away. So right my brother, he builds houses. So he has his own business. So yeah, just come from an entrepreneurial background. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Have you always been kind of a risk taker, a gambler? So no, I haven't really, you know, I actually played it safe for a long time, worked multiple jobs when I first opened the gallery just to support it because I was afraid to just take that leap because as you know, having an art background, um, it's kind of scary, <laughs> but just jumping head in and just doing it full time. So it wasn't until 2019 when I um, opened the space that I'm in now, I would say that's the biggest risk that I took. You know, I wasn't making it with my gallery. And so, and I knew that's what I wanted to do full time. So I said, I, I could just have to do this. I think I quadrupled my rent from the space I was in before. And my husband was like, what are you doing? <laughs> but it, it's worked. It, it's done okay so far. So yeah. I think it's done spectacularly. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. What set you on this path of being an artist, a photographer, and eventually owning a gallery? Yeah. So I've always had a love for art, um, but photography, there was always something about photography. And it was really in high school when I took the photography class in high school, I fell in love with the dark room and getting my hands, like watching the images appear before your eyes and the film, like the, all of the old, you're a photographer too. So, you know, but the old, the old ways of doing photography, there was just something nostalgic about it and the method and meditative of being in the dark room. 
so I fell in love with it and I had an aunt that that's what she did. And I was really inspired by her. My dad always carried his camera around. So it was kind of always in my life. And um, I had this dream of being a documentary photographer like Mary Ellen Marks. So when I got out of high school, I was like, I think that's just what I want to do. I want to go to school for photography and I want to I want to do documentary work. So you you went to art school. I went to school for photography. Yeah. I mean, I went to actually a very, I went to engineering school, um, but it was, they had a really great fine art photography program at this engineering school. Rochester Institute of Technology is where I graduated from. Yeah. But I started at Colorado Mountain College, um, which has a really intense photography program. It's a very small school in Glenwood Springs, and it was super intense. Um but they only did their associates and I, I had so much fun being there and being challenged that I decided I wanted to get my bachelor's. So you got your BFA. Why did you choose RIT? I chose RIT. Um, honestly, I was really inspired by one of the teachers that I had at Colorado Mountain College who graduated from there. But RIT um, caters more towards fine art photography, whereas like in Santa Barbara, where you know, living in Santa Barbara would have been much prettier than living in Rochester, New York, but that's more commercial photography. And that just wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to do fine art photography. Gotcha. That makes sense. And there are heavy hitters in the, in the photography school world. So yes. Yeah. That sounds like a great choice. So it was a good experience there at RIT? It was really good for me because I, I'm such an introvert and I moved out there not knowing anybody. Uh, there was one girl that was in my photography program at Colorado Mountain College. She was moving out there too. We, I mean, we knew each other, but we weren't that close. So we decided to live together. But for me, um, growing up in Colorado Springs, leaving all my friends and family was probably the best thing I could have done for myself to spread my wings and be on my own, get out of my own way a little bit. Yeah. But I did, I will tell you, living out there made me realize how much I love Colorado and I couldn't wait to move back. Because it's very flat, it's industrial, it's the weather is, I don't know if you've lived on the East Coast, but compared to Colorado Springs, it, the weather is terrible. The snow you get out there, it stays all year long, well, all all season long, and it's, dirt, it's dirty, whereas we, you know, it snows here and it's white and it's fluffy and it melts because the sun comes out. It's not <laughs> like that there. Pretty gray. Very gray. I actually learned what seasonal depression was by being there. I lived in a basement apartment and I'm a very happy person, but I was just like, man, you realize how much you need the sunshine when you don't have it anymore. Yeah. So. And we're definitely spoiled here in Colorado. We are very spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> so you attended school there. You got your BFA. They gave you a really good foundation in photography, you feel like? It did. I, you know, I will be 100% honest and say that I really learned the most at Colorado Mountain College. That program there was, I mean, it was intense and it was hard. And I think we started, I mean, don't quote me on this, but we'll say we started with 24 students. And by the time it, it was the end of the program, there was maybe half of the students left because it was so intense. Going to RIT, uh, it is a wonderful school, but for what I'm doing now, I realize I didn't need to spend that much money on a bachelor's because it's a private school and it was expensive. So the best thing for me there was 
just how I grew as a person more than anything. The teachers were great, but really, if I were to say, if somebody wanted to go to school for photography, I would encourage them to go to Colorado Mountain College. Do they still have a photography program there? As far as I know, in Glenwood Springs, I think that's that's where it was. As far as I know, when I was leaving, though, they were just getting rid of their wet labs, which is kind of sad mm-hmm. to me because I feel like if you're going to do photography as a career, you should learn all the aspects of photography, even though it's a digital world. You should learn, you know, the cyanotypes and the Van Dyke Browns and the the darkroom techniques. I, I don't think that should go away. Yeah I, yeah, I totally agree with that. Another great photography school uh, in Wyoming was Powell. And they yeah. had a really powerful uh, photography program there back in the 90s. I don't know about now, but. Yeah, and I, I've heard about them too. Yeah, yeah, I'm just, yeah. And I, so I I guess it would depend where you want to live. What kind of, because they have, you can get your bachelor's there, right? It's yeah. Not just, I, yeah, yeah, I think so. I, yeah. And maybe it's just their associates because, you know, they only have one university that does four-year degree. So maybe it's just an associate's degree. Oh, okay. Because yeah. Laramie is the only one where they, all the other universities are junior colleges, I think, or. But I might be wrong. Be yeah. worth looking into, though, if you're interested in photography. But. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I've known some other photographers. Uh, Marissa White, who lives here, she went to Rocky Mountain School of Photography in, Dece- in Denver. Is that what it is? Or Rocky Mountain School of Design? Photography? Yeah. RIMCAD. Yeah. RIMCAD. Yeah. yeah. And she was very impressed with that. Um, so, yeah, I'm only speaking from my personal sure. experience. But, yeah, this yeah. was well worth it. Yeah. I, and I'm in agreement with you in that um, you definitely, I think you should have some kind of uh, sense of where photography has come from mm-hmm. to see where it's going. You know, having that foundation, like you said, with wet dark room and experimenting with different processes and see how it works. I think that's, that's still pertinent. It's still essential, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Did they prepare you for the business of photography to be a fine art photographer in the business sense of things? I took one business class there and I took a, like a curating class there. But other than that, no, I wouldn't say that, that they prepared me for it. Um, I did a lot of the research on my own, but it's I also the classes I chose to take, like I took, you know, um, fine art photography, I took photojournalism. I didn't like, it was more geared to, towards that there was no business of photography. I, I really did a lot of that research on my own. And I knew a lot of photographers in Colorado Springs and I picked their brains about it. And I don't know if you remember years ago, there was a photo lab called Accent Photo that was here. And um, the woman that ran that, like she was a friend of my mom's. So I picked her brain a lot and I actually worked with her for a while, worked for her and started. Um, at, so when my parents sold their coffee shop I started working for Accent Photo and we developed the fine art program there. So I would work directly with artists, teaching them how to um, promote themselves. So doing something that I just kind of was flying by the seat of my pants, doing research, teaching them like, this is what you need to do if you want to grow your own fine art business. And, and I was doing giclés for them. So I was printing my own work. That's when I started doing more digital reproductions because I was learning how to use all of that equipment. Wow. So trial by fire. Yeah. Yeah. This is what you were doing once you came back to the Springs after after college? 
Yeah. So when I first moved back in 2003, I started my my own photography business and managed my parents' coffee shop. And I put I would put like the work that I was doing on the walls, you know, the fine artwork that I was I was photographing children and maternity and weddings. And that's what we decorated the coffee shop with. And so that's how I would get clients because I'd start talking to them about the fact that I had a photography business. And so that happened for, I think it was two two years, 2003 through 2005. And then when they sold the coffee shop is when I went to work for the photo lab. And so I was still doing my business on the side, but I was working for the photo lab doing, you know, printing for people and um, working one-on-one with artists. That had been a great experience right out of college, actually. Yeah. It was a really great experience. It was. Met some of my best friends there and... Um, and just being able to start at my own department, she kind of let me do what I needed to do. And then that's how I really started getting to know the artists in the Colorado Springs community was from working there. I mean, it just kind of unfolded from there. There was a frame shop next door. And when I was working with the artists, I approached the frame shop and asked if I could do an art opening with two different artists of two different mediums and I could curate in there. And he, he let me have his space for a weekend and curate in there. And we had a, an opening reception. And I knew in my heart then that I wanted to do that someday. I wanted to have a space someday where I could do that full time. And then here I am now. <laughs> nice. So that was kind of the seed to start this whole journey, curating and thinking about having your own gallery. It was, it was. I, um, I started moving forward momentum there. And then kind of took some steps backwards and then found myself again. So as I think that we all do, sometimes we have some bumps in our journey. And then, you know, I was reminded how much I loved art. So like from, I think it was from 2007 to 2009, I took kind of, I was just, I was serving tables. I wasn't really doing what my passion was. And, um, went through a divorce and was trying to find myself. And when I was working at Phantom Canyon, the general manager of Phantom Canyon was like, well, you like art. We need art on the walls. Do you want to curate for us? And I was like, well, that sounds amazing. So I started doing that. And, um, and then I started curating for coffee shops around town. So I was doing remote curation before I actually opened my physical gallery, which was fun. Again, working with the artists in the community, on a remote basis. It really gave you like a trial run in curation, you know, where you could make mistakes, but you're not all in, in a big gallery and making mistakes and losing money. Yes. You could really kind of test it out. So very valuable, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved, I mean, I, I loved even doing that and I continued doing that for a while. And that's actually how I opened my gallery. I was waiting when I was waiting tables. A friend of the family's who owns lots of properties and he's uh, lots of real estate in Colorado Springs. I was telling him one day, you know, someday I want to own a gallery. And it wasn't, I don't even think it was a week later. He came in and said, I want to show you, I want to show you a spot that I have available. And I was like, oh, I, I don't know if I'm ready for that. And he said, <laughs> just let's just take a look at it. And so me and my mom went down to it and it had been a gallery before. So we decided to rent it and the, we made the storefront, the gallery, and then she roasted coffee in the back because she was still doing wholesale coffee. So we kind of joined forces together and did that. Nice. 
another great opportunity when you can yeah. join forces with somebody like you've done with Gundaga. You yes, know, so, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Not only did you have the roots of the gallery and, and start to have your own shows, but I imagine it always smelled really good. It's not really good. It did. <laughs> I mean, I was in the coffee business since I was like 15. I worked for many different coffee shops and roasted coffee. And um, my mom, when she, so it was in, after we moved in there in 2012, she became the CEO of Silver Key, which is a nonprofit in town. And she sold the roasting part of the business to a local coffee shop that they asked me to stay on and roast for them. So I, I was able to run two businesses from 2012 to 2019 is what happened. So it was, I miss it sometimes. But I happened to leave Purple Mountain Coffee when I moved into the new location. And then the next year was COVID. So I'm partially thankful that I wasn't running two businesses when the pandemic hit. And I was only running one because that was hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> Just running the one. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. How large of a space was this uh, first physical gallery that you had? The first one is probably, I mean, I I don't know the exact square footage, but I'm going to guess it was like 700 square feet. Yeah, maybe a little less. Yeah, the ceilings were higher. There wasn't, there wasn't any windows, but kind of the same size as one of the bays of me and Gundy's space now. But maybe. Okay. Maybe three quarters of that size. Yeah. Not as small as Gundy's old gallery, but not as big as what we have now. Yeah. While you were doing this, were you still working on your photography? I was. Um, the grand opening of my, when I first opened my gallery, I, I showed my work. And then, and then I got a little shy about it and felt like I needed to support the other artists in the community and had a hard time. I'm not good at tooting my own horn and there's a lot of talent here in Colorado Springs. So the very first opening was mine. And then other than that, I didn't have my next solo exhibit until 2019. Uh, no, was it two, 2017? I think it was 2017 at the Manitou Art Center when I did a documentary on local artists and created a book. And yeah, so big gap between solo shows for sure. Do you still work on your photography? You're still doing photography? Well, I have been recently. I, um, Gundy actually, when she was still G44, asked me to do a solo exhibit. And I had um, a little, you, you know, her back gallery space. She has a tiny little gallery space in G44. I had just a small show there, but um, she asked me to do a larger show, which is coming up in May of this year. So, um, which feels, I told her when we joined forces, I'm like, this feels kind of weird having an exhibit with my work. And she told me to get over it and <laughs> I was scheduled. <laughs> so I don't have a choice and I'm very excited about it. I, but I, um, as most artists do, I feel, I feel pretty vulnerable about it. I haven't shown a big body of work in a long time and there'll be 53 pieces. Wow. 28 of which are collaborative pieces. So how are you going about that? Like, what are we going to see when we see the show open? Um, well, it will be it will be abstract, floral, and fauna, um, which is what I typically do. I use a lot of minimal depth of field with my artwork. Um, so sometimes you can't really tell what it is, and sometimes you can. It kind of, I would say, has a painterly effect to it. Um, kind of side story, when one of my first shows, 
when I first got out of college was at um, the warehouse gallery. You, you know how the warehouse, the restaurant in Colorado Springs has a gallery. One of my first shows was there and um, it, w- it was floral and fauna. And there was somebody looking at one of my pieces and he said, and he's standing next to my mom. He didn't know it was my mom. And he said, I don't understand what kind of brush she uses on these paintings. Like the detail is so like, so fine. And she said, oh no, it's a photographer or it's photography. And he said, ma'am, I'm an artist. I know a painting when I see a painting. And she she looked at him and said, well, that's my daughter and she's a photographer and these are photographs. (laughs) That was kind of funny. Yeah. I see what he's talking about. And I'm going to share my screen real quick here. This piece was in uh, the holiday show before you guys combine galleries. This is entitled Don't Be Shy. And it is very painterly, your technique and uh, the lighting and, you know, the colors that you see and combine. Mm -hmm. Um, What draws you to doing this kind of work? I have a huge love for nature. And if I could be outside all the time, I would. But, you know, that's not possible. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I just find beauty in plants and trees and just like kind of solace and just being outside. And I don't know, it's kind of a meditative process for me. And when I can't be outside, it, like I enjoy like documenting things that grow. And yeah, I don't know. There's just, it's just, just a meditative process for me, the bringing nature inside. So these are all done in your studio or in your house? I, I actually photograph a lot of my work now in the gallery because the window light in the gallery, I like all, I like using natural light. I don't have an actual studio. Um, I use the big windows that we have at our gallery. And I typically, you know, we get flowers from a local florist every month for First Friday because we want to support local. And half the time I just end up photographing the flowers that she brings in. I put one single stem in a jar and then I let the light hit it from the outside and just, yeah, put my micro lens on and shoot away. I love that. Yeah. And you guys have that, you know, you're North facing. So you get that beautiful North light coming through the windows there. So yeah, I could see why you utilize that space to, to do photography. This piece is beautiful. I, I was immediately drawn to it at the holiday show. Thanks. Yeah. Pull up another piece here. This one's entitled Pure. This is beautiful. Again, I can see why somebody that paints would think that, oh, maybe these are paintings, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then I pr- I also print on watercolor paper um, and I put an acrylic varnish over the top so that they don't have to be under glass, which also I think makes them look more painterly as well. Yeah. I only do one of one. Like I don't do um, limited editions. It's just so once this sells, this sells. Oh, okay. really? Oh, that's interesting. I love that. Why did you choose that model? Well, be- well, you you might be able to attest to this, Todd. Um, like, but being a photographer for years, people would say photography is not art, which I completely disagree with. You know, um, but I found after becoming a curator that a lot of collectors, you know, like one of a kind things. They like to know that they are the only one that has one of something. So I just decided that I would start just printing one of each image that I take. So that didn't start until 
my last exhibit that I was like, oh, I think I'm just going to do one of a kind. And then I had many people in that exhibit say, well, I really like this piece. Will you reprint it? And I said, no. And then I showed them the other ones because I, I have, when I take a picture of something, I have many to choose from. Um, so I have some that are similar. And so I was just share when that has happened, I just share the other ones that are available. Okay. Interesting. It's definitely a different model than any other photographer I know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and then, uh, are you shooting digitally or are you using film? I am shooting digitally now. Um, it's been, it's been quite a few years since I have, I've shot film, but I use a, a Nikon D 200. It's one of, it's an older digital camera and I, but everything is through the lens. I don't digitally manipulate anything. I, I do bring it into Photoshop and I clean off the desk spots, but I don't do any digital manipulation. Okay. So all through the lens. Okay. So I appreciate you, that. Yeah. Just so I mean, you know. Yeah. I find like shooting with Nikon that my images are really flat. So I have to enhance, you know, like the, not necessarily the saturation, but the vibrancy and, and some of that. Do you do any of that or is it just right out of the I don't. camera? You don't. It's just out okay. of the camera. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. So do you shoot Canon? I shoot Nikon. I have but a D200. Do. Oh, Oh, yeah. you do too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I've always found that uh, Nikon images are flat, very color flat, and um, always have to bump up a little bit of contrast. I have like this little magic matrix I do. I do the same thing pretty much to all my photographs, and I still yeah. don't consider that manipulation. I'm just bringing out what I see, right. what I see on the screen to what I remember seeing in in nature. So, but yeah, okay. so interesting. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Thanks. I think that just shows you just, you know, your skill set because mm -hmm. you're able to, you know, light, you know what you're looking for and you know how to capture it in camera. You know, mm -hmm. there's no, I love the, th the thought of, I don't need to touch this after the fact, like I can get it all in camera. Yeah. I came up shooting film and, uh, you know, I'm always under the philosophy of you just try to get it the pixels, yeah. I wanted to say film, but you, yeah. you just try to get it in camera without any kind of manipulation. I don't, I don't prescribe to using software as a something to fix things, you mm -hmm. know, as a crutch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I use it as a as a tool to enhance what I'm already getting. Like Wes said, you know, right. improving contrast or whatever it may be. But right. yeah, yeah, this particular piece is just stunning. This pure Thank this. You really really wonderful i mean just kind of going back to that i mean the beauty of like film is there's differences in 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 film like you mm -hmm. know ektar you know yep. 25 has a lot of vibrancy to it compared to something else and then if you mm -hmm. like black and white fuji film black and whites were amazing you know the uh, grayscale tone so you know just changing that's why i was like i always bring it in and adjust because i'm always looking for you know that result of like ektar 25 oh. without using a like a filter that automatically does it i'm just like bringing it back but yeah the fact that you're catching this in camera and then not manipulating it at all i'm i'm yeah. really impressed so yeah. yeah good job thank you yeah wow. So photography and cold wax, mm -hmm. is this what you're talking about when you're talking about a varnish of some sort? Yeah, I, I played this. This is a, this was from a couple of years or 
my last, no, this was a couple of years ago. I started before I did the acrylic varnish, I was doing cold wax. Like I was, it was using cold wax on it because I was doing some different research on how to not frame, frame the pieces, but you have to put some kind of cover up, like some kind of coating on them to protect them. And I saw that people were using cold wax on watercolor, like actual watercolor painting. So I played with that for a while. And I, and I like it, but um, I, I, t- I tend to like the acrylic varnish more because the cold wax gives you kind of like funky, if the light hits it, and maybe I wasn't using it right, but if the light hits it at a certain way, there'd be like flatter parts of the image and then brighter parts of the image. Mm. And it bugged me, like if you looked at it from the side. Sure. So that's when I started playing with the acrylic varnish instead. And I like that better because I also like brushing it on. Whereas with the cold wax, I was rubbing it on with my hands. I don't think I've ever met any photographer that's, that does that kind of process. So yeah. is that something that you kind of came up with or, I mean, or is other photographers doing it when they print on um, water paper, watercolor I, paper? I, I'm not, I don't know that I came up with it. I just happened to research how to, I think like how to varnish um, watercolor, but I didn't say it was photography. I just mm-hmm. said watercolor and a lot of watercolor uh, artists that wanted to, not put frames on their watercolor pieces. We're putting cold wax over it. So I just, I just tried it. And I bet you that would give it a very painterly effect too. You know, it does. And a lot of people really liked it. Um, I just, I am kind of OCD and I didn't like that. It didn't look the same from the side and from the front. Right. So it it didn't, it looked uneven to me. Right. Right. No, I totally get that. That then that I think, you know, depending on your outlook on it, that could be what's different about it too. That, that, you fall in love with, right? Um, so sure. talk about the difference between cold wax and and then um, the acrylic varnish. Yeah, the acrylic varnish is just, I mean, it's what, it's what painters use. I use, you know, you can get matte glossy or satin and you just brush it on with a paintbrush. And I just like the finish that it gives it. Sometimes you can see the brush strokes, which is kind of like, depending on how heavy of the varnish you put on there, um, which again can fool people to think that it's a painting and not a photograph, um, which I'm not trying to do. I just like that painterly effect. I like that painting. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's marvelous. And do you, do you like the more flat or satin over the gloss or does it depend on the photo? No, I, am not a big high gloss person. Okay. Yeah. I just pulled up another piece. This one's called organic. You're drawn to kind of the abstract shapes of these floral arrangements or flowers yeah yeah i think i don't there's just so much uh beauty in the minimal like all of us are guilty of it we rush through life so fast and like if you just take the time to really stare at something such as a flower there's so much more to see than just the whole flower itself right color shapes you know um I really like this one. I love the the contrast between the really dark blacks in the upper right or left hand corner and the whites and then that splashy yellow. I mean, this is this is definitely an abstract that I love. This is this is wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I like that one a lot too. I really am excited. I don't have any of the new stuff that will be in the new show here on the website yet, but I have had a, a lot of fun creating this new body of work. Um, and I'm excited to share it with people. I'm excited to see it because yeah. I love this work that I'm seeing. This yeah. is this was from a show called Balance. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. And I just pulled up another piece called Be Here Now. And um, yeah, I love the color. I love the uh, aesthetic 
Mm-hmm. Um, all your compositions are very clean, you yeah. know, and I really appreciate that. Do you usually um, now, and this might be the website, but do you do a well? And it says 21 by 21. You like the square format? I do like the square format. And this next exhibit, I did, I did go get away from, I, I have square and rectangle. Um, I have also, I have all different sizes. Okay. Um, yeah. But I do like the square format. Yeah. And so how did you go about the collaboration or how are you going about the collaboration aspect of this show that's coming up? Um, so I asked 28 other local artists, all women, just because this, the show feels very feminine to me, but artists that I have become friends with throughout the years, or I admire their work. They were all work in different mediums. Um, and I just wanted the energy of more than just myself to, in this exhibit coming up. So I just made a list of different women that I would want to be a part of it. And I reached out to them and I asked them what their favorite flower or fauna was. And then I went out and I photographed whatever they chose. Um, everybody chose something different. And, and then I printed the piece for them, either just on the watercolor paper or put, put it on a backing. And then they got to do, they get to do whatever they want with it, paint on it, tear it up, whatever they want to do with it. Um, I, I've only seen a couple of them so far and they're all going to be very different and it's pretty exciting. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So the, how did that idea come to you? Like that sounds a, like a very interesting way to approach. A show? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I would say many people that know me would say, I just, I have a hard time just like putting all of the attention on me. And so I wanted to bring other people in and collaborate. I love collaborating with people, whether it be with business, art, anything, you know, I just love, love the energy of a lot of people and artists in one space. Yeah. I love that. I love that idea. Like as a photographer too, I, you know, you don't think about a collaboration that way. Like I'm shooting it and then, you know, now I'm framing it and hanging it, but yeah, that's a very unique, at least for me, you know, and now maybe there's thousands of people doing it, but yeah. I, I find it very unique that you had this idea and um, teaming up with people, you know, friends and um, mm-hmm. that you, you know, so I love that collaboration piece. That's really looking forward to seeing what that looks like. Thank you. Yeah. I, and it's fun because the artists that and friends that I chose, I mean, a lot of them are having, it's pushing them out of their own way too because they're like I don't what am I going to do with this you know some of them are painters there's a woodworker there's a fiber artist they work in all different mediums and um some of them have told me they're having a hard time starting because they just don't they don't want to mess it up and I said it doesn't even matter if you see what the piece is it like you can just use it as your like your background and you can paint that over the entire thing and come up with something it doesn't have to look like what it is um so It'll be interesting to see what everybody does. Yeah, I could see there's a lot of pressure there. You know, here's yeah. a, a finished yeah. photograph that I'm going to possibly destroy. And then, right. yeah. yeah, awesome. But they're friends of yours, but they also want to do, you know, I can understand where they're coming from, right? They yeah. want to, they don't want to mess it up. Mm-hmm. And then your friend, and then, you know, from a curation perspective, they want to make sure that they're doing it justice, right? That you feel good about it when you hang it. Right. So yeah. a lot, of, there is a lot of pressure there. There is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you don't perceive it I, I for them, right? They, <laughs> yeah. they, they want to do their due diligence and, and uh, do it justice. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 
from a photographer's perspective and from being a curator and having a gallery, is photography a hard sell these days? It is. It is. I, I wouldn't even say these days. I Photography is one of the harder mediums to sell. And I mean, I don't know why that is exactly, to be honest with you, because I see, I mean, we have some amazing photographers here in Colorado Springs and and just, you know, I mean, from the way they execute it, the way they finish it, you know, their, um, uh, the way they look at things. Um, I don't, I don't know what it is. It just, it is, it is a harder sell. You know, when I first opened the gallery in 2011, another local photographer was like, Abby, you should make this just strictly photography. You're a photographer. Only make it a photography gallery. And I'm like, yeah, I can't do that. I mean, I wish I could. I believe in photography 100%, but I also have a business to run. And, I, you know, it, I just feel like if if I were to do that, then you're you're, sti- you're stifling yourself, really. You know, yeah. one, one of the things that I've always done is shown all different types of art, all different types of mediums. I've never, where Gundy will be more drawn to contemporary abstract, which I love. Um, I chose not to just show that, but to show all different local artists of all different backgrounds and mediums, because I felt like that was, well, A, I wanted to include everybody, but B, also a better business model for myself to be able to show different people, you know, of different mediums. I think that's smart. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's because everybody has a camera in their back pocket on their phone and there's filters and, you know, it's... It definitely hasn't helped photography. I mean, it's already, it's always been looked upon as being the redheaded stepchild of the art world and then digital, you know, like leveled the playing field. And now Mm -hmm. everybody has this amazing tool and they're on their phone. And, you know, like I said, with filters and what have you, you can make even something very mediocre look pretty awesome. Right. For sure. Yeah. I mean, everybody is a photographer these days because of the tool in their back pocket. And maybe that's part of it. I mean, I really, uh, there is so much about being a curator and an artist, like for as long as I've been doing it, like there's just no rhyme or reason to the things that happen. People, when we book people for exhibits, they'll say, what's the best month? I want that month. And in the 12 years that I've been doing this, like I I could look at my books and not tell, there's not a month that's consistently the best month. There's not a medium that's consistently the best medium. Like there is, it depends on who's walking through the door what's going on in the world. Cause you know, art is, con- it's considered a luxury. So it just, there's so many different variables and I, I really don't know the answer to that. Why photography is harder is a harder sell. Cause a lot of the photography that we have that we exhibit, we get so many compliments on it. People come back and take second looks, but yeah, I don't know. But they're not pulling the trigger. They're not. Yeah. yeah I mean, they do. It's just not, it's just not the most common thing that walks out the door. As a curator, what is the most common? Like if you were to like this, this kind or is it just vary depending on, like you said? It just varies. Honestly, I mean, it really just varies. Every exhibit that we curate, we will, me and Gundy will joke, like, we'll be like, oh, this will be the first one to sell. And most oftentimes it's not. And sometimes it's the last one standing, you know, it's mm-hmm. it just, you, I, yeah, there's really no rhyme or reason. Yeah. So then um, on top of, you know, photography going digital, now we have AI. Mm-hmm. So how do you think that <laughs> is affecting you as a gallery owner? 
Um, I don't right now. I don't feel like that's affecting us. Um, will it at some point? Maybe. I, you know, um, the people that we work with in the community here, and I think of lots of communities. The community in Colorado Springs wants to support the local arts. Like the the people come out and they want to buy local. I mean, I have shown people in group shows from other places and it's amazing how much the collectors here in this town are like, I don't know who that is. And it doesn't matter if they love it or not. A lot of the collectors that we work with will be, if they don't know who that person is and they don't know their background and they don't have a relationship with them, they won't buy the piece. Mm. That's not to be said that we can't sell it. You know, we have tourists and stuff, but the make the the bulk of the collectors we work with, there has to be some kind of connection to the community. And now I think I just lost my train of thought. You asked me a specific question. I, well, I just asked you, how do you think, um, you know, AI art oh, AI. will impact yeah. galleries yeah. or whatever? I mean, I think that it could at some point, but I think that collectors in general, like they want, they want mm. an original piece of artwork. Yeah. You know, people can create some cool things from AI. And my brother-in-law sent me a, p- a picture the other day on his birthday of this martini glass with a birthday candle floating in it. And then um, I said, well, I said, that's really cool. Is that, is that your birthday gift to yourself? And he said, oh, I generated it from one of the pieces on Urine Gundy's website. And it was a Kevin Johnson piece. And I'm like, and he generated it through AI. I'm like, that's, yeah, pretty, pretty wild. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, big galleries are now collecting AI work. I mean, so it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see right now. We do not feel it and we don't have a lot of people coming in asking. It's like when the, uh, we did have some artists a few years ago to try to convince us to do the, uh, uh, what is it? The NFT. NFT? Yes. And we mean, that's just not the route we want to go for, you know, yeah, and that kind of I don't know, I don't hear about NFTs anymore like I used yeah. to. Yeah. It's kind of so. faded out, right? Yeah. Yeah. At least I don't it know appears that AI to be. will, but we'll see. Yeah, I think AI is here to stay because <laughs> it's way yeah. too easy and everybody's, you know, the younger generation are just going to embrace it, you know. So every mm-hmm. I mean, I watch a lot of YouTube and YouTube is full of AI generated content, yeah. you know, which I mean, which drives the narrative that they're trying to sell on YouTube. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just interesting how it's really exploded and only going to get better or worse or, you know, depending on your perspective. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, we'll see if we have to pivot, we'll pivot again. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Right. Right. But it doesn't really resonate with you. It doesn't. No. Yeah. No. I mean, art for me, you know, like seeing what, inspires the artists that we work with so oftentimes like when we schedule a show um i'll have an artist be like well what do you like what 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 medium or what subject matter do you want me to do and i'm like i want you to produce what inspires you because i find if you if you tell an artist what to do or just as if you tell anybody like you're going to stifle their creativity you know if you're like if that's not what is driving them at that point they are not going to produce a body of work that they're 100 percent proud of they're trying to cater to you. And that's not, that's not what we want our artists to do. We want them to do what inspires them and create what inspires them. I love that. Yeah. And I think that's the difference between you and a lot of other gallery owners. You yourself are an artist and you understand from the artist's perspective that uh, you don't want to be told what to create or how to create it or, you know, be uh 
kind of directed into a scenario of like, well, this kind of work really sells all the time. So this is what we want from you, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think going back to you asked earlier, if I'm a risk taker, I would say that some people say the exhibits that I have shown are taking a risk. And, but I, again, I, I believe in people like providing a safe place for people to express themselves, you know, and I think that's really important. I've had some very controversial exhibits and I'm very proud of the artists and I was very proud to be a part of it, being able to give them a space to show that work. Both Gundy and I want to continue to do that and nurture that. I think that's what I really appreciate about going down the springs and going to your, well, previously G44 and Chrysler, um, now your new gallery, is that I never know, I might be familiar with the artist, but I never know what I'm going to see when I walk in. And they're always spectacular shows. And that just gives you, I mean, that's credit to you guys and, and having this vision of, you know, taking chances and not being afraid to show certain things or uh, tap into a certain subject matter. Yeah. Thank you. Back to photography being kind of a hard sell. Mm-hmm. Are there any other mediums? Obviously, you said that, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to how art sells per se, as far as like this medium is better or what have you, but are there other mediums that are hard sells? I would say sculpture is a harder sell. I think a lot of people can't picture sculpture in their homes. Like, where am I going to put this? I don't have a pedestal. This is on a pedestal or depending on how big or, you know, I, so I think it's hard for the average person to wrap their head around having a sculpture in their house. We do well with sculptures, but I would say that it, it is a harder sell as well. Do you do a lot of shows with sculpture? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Um, I mean, the gratitude exhibit right now has a number of sculptures work with 3d artists. I would say, um, typically if we do, there's a 2d artist involved somehow as well. But like, for instance, Wendy Mike is one of our, biannual artists and she's a sculptor but she does wall pieces also so but they're 3d wall pieces so they come off of the wall and so i think when we do exhibits like that that helps for people to see oh this this can hang on the wall too you know and a lot of our sculpture sculpture artists do that so that there is a way that they can incorporate it on the wall but not all the time but yeah i would say 25 percent of the artists that we work with is pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think so. That's one of the mediums that when I go to galleries, you know, also is I think difficult for people, like you said, to kind of figure out what they would do with it, where they would put it, how right. to display it. Um having something that hangs on the wall is probably a little bit easier sell than having something mm-hmm. that has to sit on some kind of pedestal or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Handful of years back, you did a whole like portrait series of creatives around Colorado Springs. Talk a little bit about that and and why you decide to explore that subject matter and and produce a book. I guess right. Yeah, I did. I produced a book. I met with 116. Well, 115. I was my friend Brian Tryon photographed me, so I was the 116th artist. But 115 local artists. Really, the whole um, preface for that was that I we have so much talent here, and I, you know, 
anything I can do to help people see that um, was important to me. So I, what I decided to do was do more of a documentary type project, get away from the floral and fauna. And um, I met with all of these artists in their studio or on site, like this photographer here. And I photographed them and then I asked them two different questions. I asked them um, what inspires them to create and what about this community feeds their creativity. And I just wrote notes down as they were talking to me and then um, placed little quotes from them, pulled quotes from the notes that I wrote and placed it with the photographs. And when I exhibited this body of work, what I did was I ended up getting those old composition. Well, they're not old. I bought a whole bunch of composition notebooks and I stitched them open. And so I hand stitched the corners of each one. And then on one side was like, this one would have been Lorelei on one side and her quote on the other. And I printed it all on watercolor paper. And then each book hung individually in the exhibit. And then I created one big book for people to buy. That's so cool. I love yeah. that. Yeah. It was really a cool, for me, like experience meeting with all these people individually and hearing what their passions were and what they love about this community. And it was, yeah, it, it was pretty awesome. And I've had people, artists, I've met so many artists since then. Um, but I, I've had people ask me if I was going to continue the project. And it's something that part of me wants to do because now, I mean, my artist base that I have, I think is over 400 and this is only 115. Some of them have moved. Some of them are still here, but a lot of people I work with regularly aren't even part of this book because I've, I've only met them in the last five to six years. We just have a lot of talent here. A lot of amazing artists, a lot of amazing people. And that's been the case since the beginning of Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs has always drawn phenomenal artists. It's always, it has a very rich history in American mm -hmm. art. And people, I don't think, realize that there's this, you know, major people have come through the Springs, have lived in the Springs, live in the Springs, and are contributing to the art world in and, and, and every way imaginable. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of the reasons that, you know, I continue to drive down to the Springs to see shows because, I mean, I love the community down there. I love my interaction with the artists that I've met, the gallery owners. Um, everybody is very uplifting. There doesn't feel like there's this. Sometimes you get this kind of weird scenario where you can definitely feel like there's some competition going on. And competition's good in its own way. But I love the fact that that community down there seems like everybody is encouraging and positive and just supportive of each other. Am, am I good? Am I good in that assessment? Oh, it, yeah. I think that's, I mean, one of the things that I love so much is that the artists and the community members and the collectors, like everybody supports each other. It's, it's a very collaborative community. It's not about competition. I've, um, it's, it, the artists show up for the other artists, like the people that come to First Fridays, they come to support everybody. And then they go from gallery to gallery to support as many people as they possibly can. And it's not everybody for themselves. It's everybody for everybody. And it's pretty, it's, it's an amazing thing. That's just, that's a kind of person I am. And I think that's why I'm so drawn to this community and why I came back and wanted to 
grow a business in this community. Well, and to a T, when I see other people's social media from galleries and artists mm -hmm. uh, from the Springs, they're always giving a shout out to somebody else. Yeah. Always. Yeah. I mean, really, we're all in this together. You know, if we want to survive as and grow as gallerists and artists, we have to work together and we have to have this common like friendship and um, partnership and business mind, you know, because really that's, I think that's how we all grow and we can all be successful. I love that. And really, you're only competing with yourself, right? Like yeah. to be a better person, to be a better artist, whatever it may be, that's where the competition part comes in. Right. This portrait that I have pulled up that I'm sharing right now, this is a wonderful portrait of, uh, this is Jody Bliss, is that correct? Jody Bliss, yeah. She's a metalsmith up in Monument. She's an amazing welder. Like she, uh, so many of the sculptures um, that you see around town, either she did, well, she created for another artist based on their, their sketch or she created for herself to share with the community. Yeah, she's, she's phenomenal. This is one of the best welding portraits I think I've ever seen. I love oh, the composition. <laughs> I love the shapes. Thank you. Um, yeah. It's really cool. Really lovely. Thank um, you so much. Yeah. You should be proud of that one for sure. I mean, all these are really uh, incredible. And you called this what? Lucere. Lucere? Yeah. Talk to me about why you called it that. It means to inspire. Okay. So I am inspired by the artists in this community. So to be inspired to inspire and be inspired. And you spoke earlier about kind of your experience in doing all this. Do you feel like you got out of it as much as you put into it as far as like interacting with people and having those kind of conversations? I really do. Um, I just think that, I mean, so many of these people I became closer with got to. So another basis for this was that a lot of these artists, when I would work with them, it was... Um, <laughs> Uh, I it would be a lot of business, you know, it would be like, okay, here's what we're going to do. This is our monthly show or this, you're going to play music or we're going to do this or that. And it would be a lot about business. Whereas when I got to sit with them in their studios and talk to them, um, I got to know them at a different level than just, you know, we're going to exhibit your work. You're going to play your music at the gallery. We're going to do this. It was not just business. It was getting to know them on a deeper level. So that was, that was really nice. I love that. I tell people all the time, you know, every day out for me is like uh, a career day. Like I get to run into interact with people that I might not ordinarily come in contact with. And I get to learn something about their philosophy, uh, their life, their art, whatever it may be. Right. But in the end, you know, there's a takeaway for me. And as much as I love doing the photography part, I love just as much the experience of connecting and engaging with another person. Me too. You know, that that's something that I've really been holding on to a lot lately because in life, like, you'll meet people um, that you might not always agree with what they're doing or what, but if you can have a conversation and talk about it, like you can, you, there's always something to take away. I've had people in my life, you know, just disagree with me and what I'm doing is not right. And then that's it. And there's no conversation. And it's like, what a, 
to me, that's a really sad way to live because we're here. We can teach each other so many things by listening. And in the end, we may not still agree, but we can still have a productive conversation and actually take away something and learn something from each other of why we're doing this or why we're, whatever it may be. Um, it's so important. Like, I don't know exactly what you just said. That's something that I've, and a lot of this next exhibit that I'm doing, I, the name of it's going to be Flourish. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm really, my, my son has really inspired me to try to not take things so personally and learn and move forward. You know, uh, I'm a very sensitive person. I'm not, I'm an empath and I easily have gotten hurt um, in my life. And I, now that I'm a mom, I realize I don't, I don't want that for him. Like I want him to learn from situations, but not just like take things so to heart that it just would stifles him or shuts him down. Um, and I'm in my forties and that's, I'm learning that now. And I have the gift to teach my seven-year-old to learn, learn a lesson and not, you know, how do you get up from this and not let it break you down? That life experience counts. And when you have a when you have children and you're able to share those experiences and pass on some of that knowledge, that life experience, I think that's really important, right? To have those kind of conversations. Like, you know, this world can be pretty rough. And, you know, you gotta be open, but you also gotta be able to uh kind of guard that heart just a little bit in some situations, like be able to recognize when something doesn't serve you, you know, mm -hmm. the way that it should. Right. Yeah. And that, that's hard sometimes to let go because it could be, you know, somebody in your life that, who you thought was somebody you were really close to. And, you know, like, you know, all of the lessons we have to learn, you know. And, and, and I think that's a skill we've lost. I think yeah. the newer generations, boy, they're really sensitive and mm -hmm. they, they don't understand that life is life is not easy and you got to take you got to take the bumps and pick yourself up and move on but boy wow just seeing reactions of people and 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 the other thing that you talked about is having a conversation and the other skill i think we've come short of and part part of that i think is social media is we don't listen we don't know mm -hmm. how to listen it's a skill we've given up yeah. you know we're always listening for the argument like what mm -hmm. can i say instead of like um listening empathetically you know mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah. Exactly. That makes me think of a post of that our mutual friend Brian Tryon. Yeah. Um, posted the other day. He, he's always funny. He always has these funny memes or <laughs> yeah. titles for his photographs that he's doing on the street or whatever, and he cracks me up. Um, a lot of times, I end up sharing those with my wife. I'm like, check this out. Like, yeah. Laugh. Yeah. But um, he had a picture of a stick, and he said, "This is the this is this prove that anybody will argue over anything." So this is a picture of a stick. And then there is a whole commentary <laughs> yeah. of people arguing about, is that really yeah. a stick? No, it's a twig, you know? And I was yeah. like, I appreciate that guy. Let oh. the conversation begin, right? Yeah. Yes. He's, he's pretty amazing. Yeah. What else do you love about Colorado Springs art community? The art community? Yeah. Or just the community in general or just Colorado Springs? Sorry. Well, actually both because... Uh, I find everybody that I've interacted with down there has been very welcoming and very friendly, which is mm -hmm. what I really appreciate and yeah. why I've spent more and more time down in the Springs. Yeah. 
Well, it's not even, I mean, I just, you know, I we, we've spoken mostly about the arts community, but the community in general, like the small business community and the way, I mean, just everybody supports everybody, you know, from, for instance, Gundy's family owns a liquor store and, you know, three blocks away from us is Weber Street Liquor, who comes in and, you know, talks to us and we're friends with as well. And it's not about you should be buying from me. She, you know, she'll say like, Hey, if you guys ever in a bind, I know sovereignty is your number one, but I'm right here and I'm here to help. You know, um, every, everybody's just wants to see everybody succeed. And I think that's what makes this community so amazing. Um, doesn't matter what the business is. People want to support local instead of the big box chains. And, um, they want to see the small business survive because that's really the heart of the community. So that's one thing that I absolutely love. I'm very much an outdoors person and there's just trails right outside my back door. So that's another thing that I just, that draw, draws me to this place. Yeah. I don't know. I've been here since I was three, moved away and came right back. And, you know, I think it's a perfect place for me to raise my son and and to pick a better place to have my own business. Tenet wants to acknowledge our media sponsor, New Magazine. That's N-U-E. You can follow both the National and the Denver edition of New Magazine on Instagram. The National edition can be found at new underscore magazine and the Denver edition at new underscore Denver underscore magazine. And I want to share with you something very exciting. Check out the newly launched New Denver Gallery Guide. Look for the signage that says New Denver Gallery Guide that has a QR code. Scan it with your phone and you have instant access to a comprehensive digital guide to Denver's finest galleries and exhibitions. Find this QR code in your favorite gallery, hotel, or coffee shop as you visit and explore Denver. Thanks for listening. I'm Abby Kreiser, and you're listening to The Tenant Podcast. You talked about making the jump from your gallery that was on uh, West Colorado to mm-hmm. where you're, you're currently at. What was really the catalyst for that? Did you just feel like you had the support behind you and it was time to dream bigger? Um, well, the, another catalyst to that was my, was my son, honestly. Um, he would, you know, from the time he was two weeks old, he went to, I, I had two weeks off after I had him and I went right back to work cause I was still running the roastery and I was, I had the gallery and I was working a remote job, um, for a company called Adorama answering photography questions. People, I was their email concierge and people would email me questions about, their photography and their cameras and how to use it. And, and I was tired. I was a mom. And I was like, you know, all I want to do is run the gallery and how can I make this happen? And I went to visit my friend Lauren, who owns um, Coraloon Vintage, which is on the other side of our gallery and the other strip. And she said, um, you know, she, we were just talking about business woes and about running your own business and it's a full-time job and obviously, but you know, one of the things, like as an entrepreneur, you go to work, you do your work and then you come home and then you're doing your work again, you know, and that's something that my husband would say a lot. He's like, you know, I don't know anybody that works as hard as you do. And, um, you know, the payback, monetary payback isn't a lot, but it's like a labor of love and I love what I do. And how can I do this full time? You know, and I was thinking about it a lot. And Lauren said, well, you should go check out the space around the corner. The flower shop just moved out and our landlords, they're all about keeping small business in business. 
And I walked by and I saw these big windows and I was like, I could just picture it. I could just picture like being downtown. Like even though my other space was downtown, it was under a bridge. So first Fridays were absolutely amazing, but I did not get day-to-day traffic. It was not a thought on somebody's mind to come down and go shopping down there for whatever reason. It didn't matter how much I promoted it. Um, I just couldn't get a lot of traffic other than on first Fridays. And so I knew that if I wanted to make it happen, I needed to have a more visible location. And so that's, yeah, I, it's funny. I, I called the sign. It was like a, one of those neon signs that said for rent, call, land, blah, blah, blah. And me and my mom and my husband, Armand, went to look at it. And as we walked in, me and my mom could see it. And my husband is not an entrepreneur. And he just looked at me like, what? what, what the hell are you thinking? I mean, it did not, it was, it was pretty bad. I mean, it was carpet and paneling and I mean, nothing about it was white wall gallery. You really had to have a vision. We spent a lot of time gutting that place. And probably a fair amount of money to make it what you wanted it to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Were you able to do it all in one fell swoop or was it like a a process to get there? It was, so I signed a lease for that space December 15th of 2018, and I opened the gallery, that space in February of 2019. So we we gutted and renovated that place in a month and a half. So when me and Gundy were deciding to do these renovations and, you know, we were both like, we can do this. And she started to get nervous. I'm like, Think about how fast we did like major renovations. Now we, we have two and a half weeks to do these, you know, semi-major renovations. And um, so, yeah, it was it was a lot. But I knew that I had to get open because I had to make money. Like I couldn't just sit. I had to pay rent. So I had to get open. I couldn't. I had to do it as fast as possible. So. Yeah. Money's going out. And if you don't have yeah. anything coming in, that's pretty scary, that's right? Yeah, it is. Did you have pretty much success from the get-go being in that new space? Um, I, I did. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because, yeah, so 2019 was, I mean, the, the amount of people that came out to support the new location was just, I mean, I was, my heart was so full. And then what you saw this last first Friday, like, I mean, it was, that was even more like me and Gundy, we did, we were beside ourselves. Like I, I feel like it wasn't until this next, this last Monday that I actually felt normal again, just from the renovations and the first Friday aftermath and being an introvert that I was like, oh my God, I I just don't feel like myself because I just was so tired from all the great emotions of being excited and overwhelmed. And, but yeah. While you were opening this new space and then the previous space, were you still curating other spaces as well while you were doing all that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. I did Phantom Canyon for uh, quite a few years. Um, and then I, like, there was coffee shops around town that I was doing. And then it wasn't until, I think it was 2019 that I let go of those other spaces because I, my son would go everywhere with me. And once he started crawling, I, I just couldn't, like, I couldn't take art in from outside and put it, you know, he was not sitting in a car seat for me anymore. Like I couldn't bring him in and sit him down and do stuff. So I had to let some, I had to let that go for a while because it was just me. I didn't have any help. Yeah. Yeah. That's some serious hustle. Yeah. Abby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have mad respect for you for, you know, 
keeping your eye on the ball and just keeping moving forward, you yeah. know? Yeah. Thank you. Talk about the mission of what Kreuzer was from the beginning mm -hmm. and how it evolved until this newest endeavor. When I first started, because I was an artist, my, my, my mission was to support up and coming artists. Like I just really wanted to nurture artists that were just starting to get their feet wet. And then after I did that for a while, I realized, well, if I really want to make this work, I probably need to start working with some established artists as well because they bring in bring in more people, you get more visibility. So I started doing both. And then from that there, it just grew. Um, I still love nurturing and helping out up-and-coming artists. I think it's, I mean, that's why I do the gratitude call and, you know, for a while, every five years I was doing the first year and the fifth year, I did an invitational only. And then Gundy and I decided that gratitude from now on is going to be a call to artists. And then the holiday show will just be an invitational. But I want to open up more calls throughout the year so that we can meet new artists and give artists a chance. Because so often we would hear, you know, people come in and they want to show us their work and we're booked up for two years. And it's, it's discouraging for some people, um, obviously. So we decided as we joined forces, how can we accommodate more artists? And I think doing calls, even though not everybody gets into calls, it gives them an opportunity to put themselves out there and possibly be accepted into an exhibit. Yeah, that's really lovely that you're thinking of the people that, you know, would love to show with you guys. And I'll tell you, when I talk about the Springs, you guys are at the top of that list of people that I'm like, hey, if you're interested in, you know, breaking out of the Denver scene a little bit and getting some different eyes on it, I'm like, I'm always talking about the Colorado Springs art community and, you know, go talk yeah. to Abby and, and Gundy about, you know, possibly showing there. Yeah. Um, and I've seen artists that, you know, that we've had on the podcast that, you know, I've told them about the Springs community and next thing i know i'm seeing their work in different galleries around town so i mean it's it's cool to see that kind of support absolutely i agree you open your space to the public in 2019 you said february 2019 mm -hmm. and then a year later the pandemic hits mm -hmm. how did the pandemic affect you i was really scary i, I will say that um but again the community that we have is so phenomenal that um i mean they, people just stepped up i met some of my best collectors through the pandemic because people were sitting in their homes stuck in their homes and they were like oh well i can't travel so what can i spend my money on and they started spending their money on local art which was great but also just the there's a lot of like the b vredenberg foundation and the cultural office of the pikes peak region they joined forces and they were doing these these grants on first Fridays to incentivize people to buy from local gallerists and to support local artists. And so they were doing matching grants. And so they would I don't even remember how much they would give, but like you submit your your receipts at the end of the day and then they were matching like a, for every $50. I think it was you get another $50 up to so, such amount. Um, so we, we did good. And that's when me and Gundy, I mean, we were friends before, but that's when we really 
became close because both of us have these businesses, but we don't have any employees. We didn't have anybody to lean on. So we started leaning on each other. Like, how are you doing this? How are you doing this? You know, crying on the phone to each other. How are we going to make this work? What, you know, so we were sharing ideas with each other of what was working for each of us and what wasn't working and talking every single day, trying to pivot and make sure that we didn't lose our businesses during the pandemic because that that's our livelihood and we were scared. So we became really close during that time. How does it change post pandemic? Has it, have you seen a change now? At last, yeah. So 20, so whatever you're in 20, so 2022 was my best year that I've ever had in business. And last, last year was my worst year in five years. <laughs> so I went from my best year to one of my worst years. So yes, I, but I think a lot of factors play into that. Like I, I think inflation, people are traveling more, you know, I don't think it's me or the artists that like, I don't think it was who we were showing or anything like that. I just, that's unfortunately, you know, through my years that have having a gallery, um, especially the first, so the first eight years at the other space, like it went up and down and then I moved into this space and it gradually, my, um, profit margin for selling artwork was gradually moving up and then suddenly it took a big dip. So again, that goes back to, there's no rhyme or reason to an art business. Like you just don't know, you can't plan on, I mean, it's still retail. You can't plan on it to continually go up constantly. Yeah. And believe me, you're not the only one that said that we've talked to plenty of artists that they actually said, I feel guilty because I've had some of the best sales of my career and then the, you talk yeah. to them two years later and they're like, I've had the worst year of my life. You yeah. know? So it's yeah. interesting how that, like the pandemic was actually a big boom. And I think you're right. I think it was a lot of people were at, at home. Like I'm looking at these walls and now I'm going to put something they have. Maybe they had money because they were getting checks yeah. and, um, and they you. weren't spending it on, you know, alcohol entertainment mm -hmm. of other, you know, outside. So they were buying art, but yeah. So your story is no different than anybody else we've heard. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel 2024 is going to pan out? Do you think it's going to be a good year? I um, mean, election year and all that. Do you think that'll play in a, uh, I, I, I do, but I I'm optimistic. I don't know. I just, um, I feel like, I don't know. I just, I feel like there's some really great things on the horizon. And I think a lot of it is because I have a partner now, you know, I mean, we, me and Gundy had a business together, but it's just, it just, everything feels different. Like it feels like this journey through art. I finally am in a place that moving forward, you know, as it doesn't seem as scary, you know, we have all of these ideas that we want to do. And before we were just maintaining our businesses. And now I feel like we have the opportunity to grow it. And so I'm, I'm not, I don't know financially how well it's going to do this year, but I think I think it's going to be better because we're able to put our energy in different areas because there's two of us now and not just one person. Right, right. No, that's good. That's a great attitude to have. And you got to approach it with hope, right? Yeah, yeah. Or you won't be in business long because it'd be, you know, yeah, you'd be sure. such pessimistic about it. So yeah. yeah, and I've seen a lot of business owners go down that route, but, you know, I... I've worked very, really, really hard to get to where I'm at. And I, in my heart, in my mind, I refuse to lose my business in any way. And I will do whatever it, it takes to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. No, good for you. Do you sell most of your art during first Fridays 
or is it spread out throughout the month it, typically? It's spread out now. It used to be first Fridays, definitely. Um, like, especially in my old location, first Fridays, like, well, in my old location, whatever I sold on first Friday, I knew that's what I was selling basically for the month. And that's another reason why I needed to, to move to a different location. But in this space, um, it's changed a lot. Um, people buy artwork all, all month long. And sometimes, I mean, oftentimes too, especially with higher priced items, people think about it for a lot and they come back two months later and they want to buy something they saw in an exhibit. So it's been, it's been good that way that it happens. Like people come in and shop all month long. And, you know, years ago, I would say like, you didn't put the work on the website. Like first Friday was the first chance that anybody would see anything that was going to be in these new exhibits. And so people would rush to get the first Fridays because they wanted to make sure that they had the first chance to buy this, that, and whatever. And now our websites are live. We're open two days before first Friday, even before the reception even opens. And people, local collectors and admirists know that they come in on Wednesday and Thursday before first Friday to take a sneak peek before everybody else gets there. Do you sell a lot Wednesday and Thursday prior? Uh, a lot. I wouldn't, I mean, it just depends, but yeah. I wouldn't a lot. Yeah. There's a, we do get hit pretty pretty well on first Fridays. We will yeah. not complain about that. First Fridays are still like probably the prime day, but I'm grateful that people continue to come in throughout the month and purchase things. You spoke to your passion about mm -hmm. art and your passion of owning and running a gallery. What else do you enjoy about owning a gallery, curating a gallery? The curating is just, I, I love to curate. It's like a puzzle. You know, I can't wait. Like we get to see the artists share images here and there. And then the 15th of the month before the, um, before they drop off their work, they send everything to us. And so in my mind, I will always look at it and cure, curate it online. And then most of the time they bring it in and then I see it in person. It's never what I thought of was going to be in my mind. So it's this meditative puzzle piece that just, uh, I, you know, I just love to immerse myself in it's, I've had many artists ask me, please, can I be there? Can I help you hang it? And I'm like, nope, you had a year and a half to two years to work on this. And this week, it's my time to be with your artwork. And both Gundy and I will say, you create the artwork and we create the space. And it's, you know, that to me is an art form in itself. And I absolutely love curating. It's, it's great. Yeah, it's definitely an art form unto itself. Yeah, it is. It's funny, creating this new body of work that will be in May, um, somebody asked me the other day, do you find yourself creating differently because you're a curator also? And I, the way I have put together a body of work has definitely changed since I've become a curator. I think about the frames and what the sizes are and what orientation they are. Whereas most artists that don't curate, they're creating because they want to create and they, they want to do this long piece and then they want to do this tall piece and then they want to do this little square. But there's like, there's all these different aspects that go into curating, you know, do the frames match? Do they, you know, do the colors flow? And um, so I've been thinking about that a lot as I've been creating this body of work. How, how might it hang, you know? can I have odd pieces or do I need more even pieces or do I need to put like everything as, as a square, or, you know, all those different thoughts. 
So in that process, that thought process, and as a curator, what are some pro tips that you can pass on to artists when they're thinking about their next show? Cohesiveness in, you know, I'm not saying you have to stick with the exact same palette for the exact same show, but like how can things flow together? And, you know, we look at palettes, we look at frames, uh, oftentimes if somebody frames something in all different frames, it's that's probably the the hardest type of show to put together. You know, if you have this bright gold frame and then you have white and then you have like the mismatched frames can be a little difficult to curate sometimes because there could be two images, two paintings, two whatever that go well together, but then the frames just, they don't speak to each other. And then it's like, how do we, where do we put this and how does this work? So I really love the cohesiveness of framing when people are framing things or don't don't put frames on it. But that would be the biggest thing. Mismatching frames is tough for curators oftentimes. However, then you can have a show like, um, I don't know if you guys saw Chris Alvarez's last show, um, Curse You Tiny Paintings. And he had over 100 miniature paintings. And I think we'll say like at least 50% of them were framed in all different frames, but they were so small that I just made this salon style wall and it, it was absolutely beautiful. Like it looked, it worked really well together, but if you have like larger paintings and all mismatched frames, it's, it, it does just cohesively. It just doesn't fit sometimes very hard. Yeah. That would, that would be my biggest advice. Think about your framing and how things flow together. Makes total sense. So what is your process when you're curating a show? Like what, what kind of walk us through that a little bit? Yeah. Um, um, a lot of it is palette. You know, I look at the way that, you know, the palettes play with each other um, and how they can flow to each with each other or depending on like the direction of a piece. If, if it's a portrait and somebody's looking to the left, oftentimes that will be on the left side of a room. Like, I don't like it when a lot of times when like people are looking at each other, like looking, there's so many different things. Like, so if it's portraiture, the direction of what, where the face is going and how the lines lead you around the room or the faces lead you around the room. I like a cohesive flow throughout um, the space. So the frames play a lot into it, the palette, the direction of the piece, whether it's an abstract or a portrait, um, you know, but there's a lot of moving around. Like I'll lay it out and the there, I don't think ever have I laid out a show and that's like the very first time I've been like, oh, this is it, I'm done. I think you move it around a lot. You lay it out, you walk out of the room and you lay out a different show, you come back and you look at it again. And now with, even since when Gundy moved down there, what we do a lot too is we'll lay out a show and we'll be stuck or we won't be stuck, but then we'll ask each other to go look at it so that we can, you know, get a different take on things. Something we may not have seen before. Um, so yeah, lots, it, it's a lot of moving around. It's a lot of this here, open up this here, or I think I have a wall set and then I move it to the next wall and then I move the other pieces over here and then I switch switch them again. It's a lot of moving parts. It doesn't pay to be indecisive, does it? No, 
<laughs> I could not be a curator because I'm so damn indecisive. We, yeah. It would still be on the floor waiting to be hung on right. the first Friday. Oh, but then you start to put them on the wall after they've been on the floor. And oftentimes it stays where you want it. But once it's on the wall, you might move it again. So when you sell a piece that's in an opening, do you does the buyer get it or do they, does it hang until the, the show is over? Most oftentimes, 99% of the time, it hangs for the entire month. We do the holiday exhibit every year that Gundy has done. Um, and we're going to continue to do that's a cash and carry ship exhibit. But yeah, most of the time it stays the entire month. Yeah. I bought a piece from a, a gallery show and it drove me crazy because I had to wait like a month to get it. And I was like <laughs> yeah. chomping at the bit because I'm an instant gratification kind of guy. So mm -hmm. anyway, I was just kind of curious. There, we have had people that have bought things that are like, I really, I really like, it's like a make it, make or break deal for them. And we're not going to lose that sale for the artist. Right. So we have sent things home. Cause then it's just, I mean, when you do that, then you have to recurate, you know, oftentimes it's not just, unless you want to leave a hole in the wall, which I can do because I'm very OCD and that would drive me crazy. Right. But, so have you ever had, um, this is goes to like auctions. Have you ever had um, an artist try to do backdoor deals behind your back as a gallery open? When I first started, yes. Yeah. yeah. I feel like we, that I am to the point now, like I have built these relationships with people. It's a common, it's a partnership. It's a friendship and people wouldn't do that now. And it's a, it's an understanding like, you know, um, that makes galleries obsolete and, you know, we work our butts off for our artists and the artists that work with us know that and they respect that. And if, so that has not happened in a very long time um, yeah. that I'm aware of. <laughs> right, 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 right. And I really, we early on in the podcast, we ran into a, a number of artists like, you know, if you want to buy my piece, you have to go through the, the gallery. Even if they bought it, he, they would send a check to the gallery saying, here's your portion. So, and yeah. I got to respect that. Yeah. Well, and I do too. I mean, yeah. cause really like, that's what it is. Like it's, it's a trust thing, you know, it's like, this is how Gundy and I feed our families. Like, you know, this is our business and we're working really hard to make this partnership work for both of us. And so, yeah, it's, it's a mutual respect. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Very symbiotic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Symbiotic. That's a perfect word for it. Yeah. And I think artists need to realize that, you know, yeah. and I don't think all of them do. I think there's, you know, they don't pretty unscrupulous people out there. Like I'll sell it to you for $50 cheaper. If you sell it, you know, buy it from me, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And I don't, I really believe in my heart that we don't have artists that do that anymore because they know that this is, this is our livelihood too. On this kind of same topic, what are some of the things that artists and even the general public don't understand when it comes to selling art and running a gallery? Well, I mean, kind of what we just hit on, you know, I did, I had somebody come in the other day and they asked me, they said, what percentage do you take from artists? And I said, it's a, it's a 50, 50 split. It's, um, and I don't like the word take because, <laughs> because I'm not taking anything. Like we really encourage our artists to, when we talk about pricing, to always price your work as if you're showing at a 50% gallery because that's industry standard. And if you're selling out of your studio and it's that same price, like, well, then you get a little more kickback because it's not like it's not being shown through a gallery. But 
nobody is going to, uh, well, not, most people aren't going to, like if they see something at a gallery and then see it at somebody's studio for 50% less, why, why would, why would they come buy it from the gallery? You know, why, why would they do that? You know, most people like they're see 50% off, which is, um, I think it's gotten a lot better, but I think a lot of people don't, don't realize like they, they see galleries as taking from artists, but that's not what it is. And it's, it's a, like what we just talked about. It's a partnership and it's mutual respect and galleries are here to support artists and artists like we're, we're supporting each other. You know, I, one person told me once she works for Rocky Mountain PBS in town. And uh, I told her this was years ago when I was like, I don't understand why people think that, you know, I'm taking from artists when it's, it's a partnership. And she said, most people perceive gallerists as like philanthropists. They think it's just like a hobby. They just, these are these people that have a lot of money and they just open up a gallery. And well, that is definitely not the case. <laughs> you know, I don't, this is, this is my job and this is what I chose to do. And it's hard. And um, I don't come from money and, you know, I don't, build million dollar houses like my you know there's there's months that are really hard and but it's worth it to me and I don't think that everybody realizes that you know how, all the behind the scenes all the hard work um all the strain honestly on a family too you know both Gundy and I you know we our families are very supportive but you know like I, my husband doesn't come from an entrepreneurial background and he you know he he, I think, sometimes resents the business because it takes so much of my time. That's a thing that uh, we talk about a lot on the podcast with artists, but also people that own galleries. Like, there has to be a balance that's struck, right? So, how do you strike that work home life balance? Well, that's one of the reasons why Gundy and I did what what we're doing. That's another thing is that family is very important to us and. Our lives literally run so parallel. We can tell each other these stories, like the same thing, like, you know, our husbands love us and they support our galleries, but then sometimes they're like, I kind of hate what you do, you know, and how can we balance that more? Well, by having somebody that we can trust, which is each other, we can have more times with more time with our families because we don't both need to be there all the time because we know that we can run it individually without the other one being there. And so she can be in Breckenridge with her family right now. Or this last week I was in Crested Butte with my family and we're able to give each other that time that before it was like, well, I don't have an employee, you know, we, and we actually, we hired an employee, uh, a gallery manager that, so to give us some more time as well so that we can go out and build our curating side of the business. Um, so that's a big push for why we did what we did so that we could balance our lives more. You know, our kids are seven and this time is so fleeting and it's going by so fast, too fast already. Um, yeah. We love what we do and we love our families and we want to make both of them work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you're so right on the money when you're talking about, you know, your children being this age and how much time you have with them. These are the pivotal years right now. So, yeah. The fact that you were able to join forces and now have this gallery together, I mean, that sounds pretty ideal to me. Yeah, it's pretty amazing because it's not oftentimes that you, you know, people will say business is hard. Having a business partner is hard. You know, you don't like, do you, it's funny. So many people have said, well, do you guys have X, Y, and Z in place? And who's going to be doing what? And who's going to be, and it just has worked. We just work seamlessly together. It's 
you know, it's like, she's my soul sister. You know, someone told us, if you believe in this, there's a woman that we both know that said that we were definitely sisters in past life. You know, Mm. we just work really well together. And I'm really grateful that this has happened at this point in my life. Everything happens in its own time and for a reason, I think. Yeah. You guys have been friends for a while, you and Gundaga. Yeah. When did you guys meet? We actually met when we were pregnant. Um, I wasn't telling anybody yet. She was six months pregnant. And we got both got hired to jury a show at Cottonwood Center for the Arts. And people had told us for years, like, you should know each other. You guys are so much alike. Um, so our kids are seven. So eight years ago, we became friends. Yeah. And... You were in that space on Boulder before she was, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I moved there 2019 and she moved there in 2021. And then before you guys joined forces for Oric Gallery, Mm -hmm. uh, you had this other business that you've had for a while now, Curate Your Space. Talk a little bit about that and what kind of services you guys offer. So both of us on our own for years, like when I was doing, like I had said, Phantom Canyon and the coffee shops around town, we had done curating on our own here and there, but never really like pushed or like advertised for it. And then during the pandemic, we happened to both be working with the same collector at two different times, bringing in artwork, showing it to her in her home and, um, we were like, why don't we, why don't we make a business out of this? Why don't we promote this more and do this together? And so we call it curate your space. And we, we've been lucky. It's all been from word of mouth. We, we, we did a job and then we got another job from that job. And then we've met with some interior designers and framers that give our names to people. So we do as simple as going and hanging a piece that you already own to finding pieces for your home, to recurating your whole entire collection. We've taken everything off people's walls and recurated it for them. Um, we have had people send us pictures of a couch and say, I want a piece for over this. And then we, we show them all the various pieces that we know from local artists that would look great in their space. Um, sometimes we bring them in and we show them that way instead of just digitally, but we have since we have grown our business, what we typically do is send a portfolio of images that we think people would like, and then they narrow it down and then we bring it to their home and show it to them to see what they would like in their home. Um, we hang mirrors, we hang in stairwells, which is not Gundy's favorite thing to do, but I, I like the challenge. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then businesses around town, we do rotating um, curation for various businesses around town. We do three to six months. And we bring in a whole body of work and they lease the images from us. So the artists get a kickback from that. And then three to six months later, we bring in a whole new collection of work. It sounds like a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It sounds really like fun. a lot of work. It's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. The home, the home curating, you know, it's kind of like what you guys said earlier with you've had so many different um, things happen during podcasts, whether it be with, you know, couples or whatnot. Like we have had some interesting encounters with different clients in the homes. So we've ran into all different things, but it's fun, you know, and all the different personalities. It's like working with all different artists all the time. You never know 
what the personality is going to bring. And that's how the home curating clients are. The business ones, not so much. It's pretty much regiment for businesses, but the home clients are always different. So how do you monetize that? Is it probably varies. Like you got a rental, so that that's kind of a no-brainer. You you charge rent, mm-hmm. um, but when you're curating, let's say hanging mirrors or hanging art, do you, um, so how does that look? We charge by the hour. Okay. Yep. So we have a, a minimum rate of two hundred dollars, and then we charge we charge by the hour from there. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Until you actually do that sort of thing, do that kind of work, you have mm-hmm. no idea like mm-hmm. what you're up against. And yeah. every day is different, right? Every space is different. You just don't know what kind of challenges are going to be thrown at you for that particular job or that day, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the wall, even the walls you're hanging in. Like a lot of the new bu- new builds, the walls are so thin. I don't even, it's, I'm like, did you put a two, you know, is there a two by four like in the middle of this? Like It's crazy. Like the new builds are very different than like going into the old houses, like on the old north end, working with plaster walls or brick wall, like all, there's just so many different challenges that it's fun. I, you know, when we first started, it was more scary because we were, you know, like, I don't know if I want to drill into this brick and then you do it. And it's like, I can drill into brick anytime. (laughs) (laughs) Once you, once you got your technique and your routine down, right. Yes. Then it well, and the right supplies easy. and tools and like, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. We really want to grow that side of the business even more. We really enjoy just curating in general, like curating the shows at the gallery and curating for other people. It's, that's really where our passion lies. So what's the craziest thing that you've had to hang? The craziest thing. Or the most challenging, maybe. Um, we had this one piece that I wasn't, I wouldn't say it's crazy, but we were in a stairwell, which, you know, stairwells like are, they can be kind of intimidating depending on the stairs, but it was probably a 10 foot by 10. It was a square 10 foot by 10 foot piece. And so we, we always bring, um, somebody with us when we have the stairwells period, just because you just don't know how it's going to be, but hanging that big of a piece in a stairwell was, that was probably one of the most challenging things that we've done. Another challenging thing was hanging a whole bunch of different deer skulls in somebody's house where the antlers are so long and figuring out how we, you know, okay, so here's the head and how long are the antlers going to go? Um, but then mirrors, like hundred pound mirrors, like <laughs> that's, you, you can put anchors, you put anchors into a wall, but it's still like, I'm not going to lie. When we first started curating, when we would do some of the heavier stuff, I would wake up in the middle of the night and be like, am I going to get a call that this fell off the wall? Even though I knew it was in place and I knew the anchors were fine, but you just, it's the same way when we do installations in in our space. We know everything's secure, but we have nightmares about coming in and everything being on the floor. Like sure. I think it's what when you have when you do it for a living, that's your biggest nightmare that could possibly come true. And so that's what happens. You you dream about it. And knock wow. on wood, that's never happened. <laughs> but <laughs> well, I could totally see it. I've photographed other artists' art and mm-hmm. just having it in my possession makes me nervous, right? Like I know if you're doing that all the time, you kind of probably get over a little bit of that, but still you have a responsibility and an obligation. And 
I can't imagine, you know, you work with expensive art all the time, yeah. but something extremely expensive that would like give me nightmares. Yeah. Trans when we do some of the big curating jobs and we're transporting, you know, a lot of pieces, like there's one job we do for this place called the philanthropy collective in town and they house on average 35 pieces at a time. So we are taking 35 new pieces over there, take, you know, taking the ones off the wall and transporting them back. And we're in very close proximity, but it doesn't matter when you're, you know, it would be nice to have a van someday. You know, we're filling our vehicles with all this artwork and we know what we're doing, but it's still, it's still a little nerve wracking. Not going to lie. It's a lot of art. Yeah. Yeah. To be taking from point A to point B. <laughs> <sighs> and I'm just thinking about, you know, it, it's a lot of art period. I mean, the yeah. fact that you're, you know, changing out shows every month in your, your current gratitude show, like mm -hmm. there is a lot of art in your gallery yeah. right now. There is. Yeah. yeah. It's, 156 pieces. When that doesn't include John and Kevin's work. Well, I was going to say, does that yeah. include John and Kevin's stuff? So, <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, over 200 pieces in the space right now. That's a lot. Man. Yeah. <laughs> when you hung these shows, it was just you and Gundy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's always just the two of us. Dang. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. At what point did you decide that you were going to join forces and just say, you know what, we're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to, we're going to shut down our separate entities and just go under one umbrella. It was this past year. Um, it was early. I, I would say it was around a year ago this time we started really talking about it. We used to joke about it a lot, but then we really started talking about it. You know, we talk about everything together, but we started sharing like finances and, you know, we, we would work side by side in these two different galleries, but rarely did we sit down and just chat with each other. We, most of our chatting was done on curating jobs, but Last year, we, you know, we both were like sitting in our galleries doing the same tasks for, you know, paying the same bills. And we just we decided we're like, let's just share everything. And we realized how much we could streamline things and simplify by being one instead of paying taxes on three different businesses, instead of paying the same bills every single month for two different businesses, you know, all of the different things, it just, everything made sense, you know, um, being able to stop just maintaining the business we love, but to grow it, that was the biggest motivational thing, the family and growing the business. Because for years, I would say for the last like three years, we've been so busy, but it's like we're treading water, if that makes any sense. Like we don't want to get burnt out on what we love doing. And those are the conversations we were having over and over again. And then we're, we just, I can't tell you the day that it was, I don't even remember, but we basically just looked at each other and said, let's just do this. Let's, let's make this happen. And what do we need to do to make this happen? And, you know, and it wasn't cheap. I'm not going to lie. You know, it's, because we decided to hire a branding company um, because we really, we didn't want it look, to look like Kreuzer Gallery or G44. We wanted it to look like us together. So we wanted, so we hired professionals to help tell our story together. And, um, and we're very happy that we did that, but all of the things that it made that we had to do to make us one, it was expensive. Not going to lie, but I think it's the best thing that we could have done. Was a, there a lot more to it than you imagine? 
before making the jump? Um, a lot more to it when it came to the branding. I didn't realize what that um, that whole process would be. And it was a great process, but I didn't realize how in-depth it was going to be. Like Gundy jokes that it's like we were getting married and going through marriage counseling because they asked us so many questions. They asked us questions separately and together. And they would put us on the spot in front of each other. They would have us talk about things that maybe we hadn't even talked about before. And, you know, and we, so we learned even more about each other um, than we thought that we, we, we thought we already knew, you know, so that was really exciting. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a great experience and I, I would recommend it to anybody. It was, we learned a lot about ourselves and about it's, it's crazy because they sat us down, asked us these questions that I was telling you about, and then they came up with the whole design. And when they showed it to us, we were, I mean, it was perfect. And in and, and our opinion, it's perfect. It, it, it is us to a T. Sounds like it was smart money, money well spent. Yes. Yes. And I loved how you referred to it as uh, like almost like marriage counseling because, yeah. Yeah. you know, and it, I, <laughs> Unless you've yeah. gone through it, you you don't know, right? And yeah. so, even though you've been very successful on your own and partners in this joint business, curate your space, there were still things that, like you said, that you hadn't talked about and maybe hadn't thought about or addressed yet, right? Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. I would imagine that each of you have your, you know, your various strengths and weaknesses, just like mm -hmm. any any partnership. So. What are some of the strengths that you bring to the table and what are some of Gundy's strengths? Funny, so many people ask us that. And uh, I mean, we honestly are very similar people um, in that, like in our business styles, we do business very similarly. Um, we work differently in, this, in, in a sense that like when I have time to work, I can just bust stuff out and Gundy is more of a fly by the seat of her pants. But that's, I mean, it's worked for us. It's not a bad thing. Um, she would say, like, she says that when it comes to, like, business deals and, like, working with people that I'm more assertive, which I never really thought of myself that way. Um, but she told me just the other day, she's like, you've taught me so much about how to deal with different clientele about being more, like, assertive with our business beliefs and how we want to do things, um, which... Um, I thought it was pretty great because I didn't, I don't know, I guess I don't see myself that way. So it's funny when somebody else sees that, that side of you. Um, and then customer service, I would say we both, we both are very great with customers. A lot of people will tell us that it's just easy to work with us. We're just both very, we just wear our heart on our sleeves and what you get, what you see is what you get. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's funny that when you ask that, like, when I'm up, she may be down or when she's down, I'm up. We always balance each other. You know, most of the time we're both up, but it, it seems it's it's very rare that we're both down at the same time, if that makes sense. We just, yeah. we, we're just a really good team and we balance each other. And it's funny because when, with Curate Your Space, I was doing all the financial stuff and then through all the renovations and all of this, we both kind of just did what we needed to do. And Gunny kind of took that role on and I took more of the design role on and the website stuff. So I, it's, I don't know. It's, it's just, again, it's just worked. We just work well together. Have you had to change much from your individual business models to what you're doing now? Or has it been pretty seamless? It's been seamless. 
Yeah, we have not. Yeah, we haven't. We we sat down early on and discussed like things that were important to us and things that we didn't want to change and things that we were flexible on. And we were on the same page with all of it. Feel pretty lucky. You both individually have like your stable of artists, but I also know that there's a lot of crossover. Mm-hmm. So you you both have shown previously some of the same artists in your galleries. How did that change once you became one entity? How how is that going to evolve? Yeah, so we um so the the artists that we shared um like I would show like for instance I showed John Francis last year and then we have him again this year because me and Gundy would flip-flop with him or with um Karen Mossbacher or Jets Moran, like we would flip flop with certain artists. So those artists, we had a conversation with them that they will now just be every two years. We can't show them every single year. And then some of the biannual artists that Gundy had that I didn't have, they will continue to be biannual artists. Same with mine. The ones that I showed that she didn't show, they will continue that way. And then um, we've just filled in the months accordingly from there. Because all the artists, like even though that they showed solo with Gundy, maybe not with me. A lot of them had shown in group shows. So there's, I think there's only maybe a handful of artists that have not worked with me directly or her directly, but those artists are very excited to work with us both now. Yeah. Obviously you had to revamp the the exhibition calendar a little bit to incorporate all these artists. Yeah. The biggest thing was, is so we were both booked out through... 2025. But one of the things that we want to change starting at the beginning of 2025 is the space that you walk into will be like that it will have a ton of artwork on the walls all the time, a lot of jewelry, pottery, so more like a retail presence. And then the, the, the two West spaces will continue to be individual exhibits. But we had everything booked through 2025. So we had to sit down and look at our exhibit schedules and see who was two years in a row or who was part of a group show so that we could move them to 2026 so we could do our ultimate vision of um, executing the retail space that I just spoke of. So we did have to move some people and everybody understood because all of those people that we had to move to 2026, they'll have a retail presence with us. They'll be able to show artwork all the time, all year round, um, a handful of pieces that will rotate consistently. Nice. So more exposure for everybody, really in the long run. Yeah. So now what is the, what is the total square footage of the gallery? Um, it is just under 3000 square feet. It's a lot of space. It yeah. is. It is. Yeah. It's a lot of space. And yeah. on your opening first Friday, <laughs> it was so jam packed in there. It was so it was, packed. It yeah. was, uh, you literally had to negotiate the room to maneuver yourself to see art. Like it, it was that packed. Yeah. It was very exciting, but I'm not going to lie. It was very overwhelming. Also, <laughs> Gundy and I, <laughs> we went and had a kid in our little office area numerous times that night just to take a break. Like, just like, <laughs> it was a lot of people, you know, was, my friend I, Heather has helped me bartend since, since I was 
had the space under the bridge and she said by far that was the most people that she has ever seen in there. She usually keeps a tally in her head for me because we always have to say attendance to the downtown partnership. And she said there was definitely close to 800 people in that space throughout the night. I can believe it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of people. (laughs) I walked in and with my wife on that night and saw you two and said hello. And Barb, my wife said, do you want to talk with them? I'm like, no, they're, they are so busy and overwhelmed and being inundated with people. Like it was nice to just say hello. They know that we were there. We showed up, but yeah, they're just, I could, I could see it on your faces. Like you're trying to engage and openings are hard anyway. Like you can't really, you have these little, you know, portions of conversation mm-hmm. and then you get pulled away into some other conversation and it just nonstop throughout the night. It is. It is. Um, and me and Gundy are very introverted people. I love first Fridays probably a little more than she does. Like, but both of us the next day, we call it the first Friday hangover. Like even not from drinking, we just, our mouths hurt from smiling and talking so much. And we just, we don't want to talk to people for the next couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> So, Todd, how did you handle it? You don't yeah. like crowded spaces either. Yeah. I'm not a big crowded space person, but um, you know, I I'm always excited to come and see what you guys are doing. And you know, I love John Francis, just a yeah. lovely human being. And again, it's just being part of that community. And there was so much work to see. I was just excited to see what all was going on. So you had your show, your gratitude show, mm-hmm. which is an annual thing. And then you had John Francis and Kevin Johnson in the other room, which was previously G44 on that side of the gallery. And it was just spectacular. I mean, everywhere you were, you were like, oh my God, I can't, that's spectacular. Or, that's spectacular, you know? And um, yeah, you just hit it out of the park. So thank you. thank you. Yeah. I just expect that first Fridays are going to be crazy no matter what, Yeah, you know, I just, I, I literally, it's almost, and I'm sure you can relate. I mean, you're the one that's presenting. Um, I'm just there to view art, right? But I literally have to amp because I'm fairly introverted myself. I literally have to like prime myself for like the 24 hours leading up to going out on first Friday as far as where I'm going, what I'm doing, you know, figuring out my game plan and knowing that I just have, I only have a limited amount of time. There's no way I can hit all the galleries I want to see in the Springs. Just like with Denver, it's just, there's no way. Everything's a little bit more spread out, you know, in some Mm -hmm. ways down the Springs. So I literally have to map out and, and like be cognizant of my time. Like, all right, I've been here for 45 minutes. If I'm going to see any more art, I need to move on to the next place. Yeah. Yeah, First Fridays are, I mean, there's, I do have to prep myself too, but the biggest thing for me, really, it's not even the crowds. It's, um, it's seeing the artists face for the first time when they walk in and see their exhibit. And that probably is the most, like, I, I'm always proud of what, what we have done, but I do get nervous because there's, what if, what if the artist walks in? Like I had Shannon done one year, I think it was March, it was March of 2020. And she walked in and her exhibit was just breathtaking. And she walked in and she just stood there and there was like no emotion in her face. And 
I was like, oh my gosh, she does, she does not like what I did with the exhibit. And I was like, Shannon, you got to say something. And then she started crying and she said, I just, it's just love it. And I just like seeing it on the walls for the first time all together in space. And those are the kind of things that I live for. Like I, like I, I love what I do and I'm, and I think I do a good job at it, but I want, I want to do right by the artists that are exhibiting as well. You know, um, I want them to be happy. You know, I want this, they're, they're putting themselves out there. But I'm also putting myself out there as a curator. Like I, I put my heart and soul into curating the works on the wall and I want them to be pleased with it. You know, they spent two years creating this body of work and I want them to be happy with the way it's presented. Um, that's that's the biggest thing for me. Yeah, your reputation is, you know, on the line in addition to the artists and their work, right? I mean... Again, it goes back to that symbiotic relationship and you want to do right, you know, mm-hmm. and you care. I mean, that's, I do. that's it. You care <laughs> deep in your heart. You care and you're passionate about what you do. Mm-hmm. And you have this, you feel this responsibility to the people that you're inviting to the gallery, the artists themselves. I mean, all that comes into play. Yeah, absolutely. What is your greatest fear? My greatest fear? Yeah. You've been doing this for a while, but I know that there's always like something that kind of lurks in the background and, you know. Yeah. Um, my greatest fear. I, I mean, I I will say this has never happened, but I think if I'm like, what if the artist doesn't show up and then I don't have anything on the walls? Like, what if they don't like, what if they don't, you know, I've had artists that don't meet their deadlines and aren't very communicative. And this happens fewer and far between now, but um you know, I do think like, what if I had nothing to put on the walls? But then the, the fact of the matter is, is that wouldn't happen because I have so many people here that I work with that I could call in a heartbeat and be like, John, Brian, Shannon, like I need, just bring me two pieces of artwork and I'll put something up. You know what I mean? I could make it work, but I have thought about that before um, somebody backing out at the last minute. And what would that look like? You know, cause I'm such a planner. Um, but my biggest fear, honestly, would be not being able to do what I love doing. And, but again, like I said, I'm not going to let that happen. You know, I, I'm going to do whatever I can to make it, make it work. However hard it may be. Commit crime? <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't figure, but. Yeah. <laughs> If there was a young person that came to you and said they want to start a gallery, what's the one advice you would give them that like kind of took you by surprise being a starting a gallery? Um, you know, we just had an intern that I was that's what she wants to do and she, what I told her is like it's you you're going to have to you're, you're going to have to work your ass off. Like it's not it's not something that just happens for people, you know. I think I mean, and, and I was honest with her, I worked multiple jobs for years and maybe that's not everybody's, you know, Gundy started her business and she was able to do that. Like she helped with her family business too, but she didn't work as many jobs as I did to make mine work. So you don't necessarily have to do that, but you have to be willing to put the work in. It's not, it's not just going to fall in your lap. I mean, still after 12 years, like I can't not promote and do things, you know, you still have to do it. Even after 12 years, it's a constant, it's a constant process. And the the minute you stop with any business, really, like people forget, I mean, like, doesn't matter how many people admire you or how many people love your business, are you, you have to constantly put yourself 
out there and be vulnerable and put in the work. Yeah. And a lot of people aren't willing to do that. You know, a lot of people want things to just be handed to them. And as great as that sounds, like that's just not the reality of most people's lives. Right. That just doesn't happen. You know, and honestly, like, I don't, like, as a mom, again, I, I don't, I want, I, I'm proud of the fact that my son sees me work so hard. And yes, maybe I've had to sacrifice things, you know, but he's, he comes to work with me, you know, and when he has days off, that's what he does. And he knows he has to do that. And sometimes he says, mommy, I wish you weren't looking at the computer. Or I wish you weren't doing work. And, and I, I, think that someday he'll be like, I really respect what a hard worker you were all these years. And um, yeah, so I think that would be the biggest thing letting, you know, is telling people like it's not, it, it literally is a labor of love and you're going to have to make it work. You're going to have to put in the work. It's not just going to happen for you. And if you're willing to do that, then you can, you can make it work. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's distilled down to the very essence of it. It's a lot of work. I admire and respect what you guys do and any gallery owner because I know I see what you guys go to. I've had enough conversations that I just know that it's an extreme amount of work. Where I have my studio is within a church in the 40 West Arts District, and they recently, within the past five months, started their own gallery. Mm -hmm. When they started it and they had this idea, I was like, man, I don't think they know exactly how much work this is going to entail. Mm -hmm. And now five months in, you're seeing people like, man, I'm really burned out. Or, you know, I sit the gallery every Sunday, you know, for three hours and it's taken its toll on my relationship at home or whatever it may be. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I've jumped in and tried to do a few things to help out. But I knew from the get go, I'm like, I'm going to see how this shakes out because I know how much work it is. And I don't want to be the guy with the plan. Like, I don't want to be, <laughs> I have, I have enough going on. I'm not going to like throw myself into that mix per se with both feet, but they're doing a great job. And, um, I think it's hard because I think you have these certain expectations. And again, sometimes it's good to be naive when you jump into something, you know, I mean, I don't know how you feel like you obviously are passionate about it and you wouldn't change anything. But going back to, you know, when you first started this idea of wanting to have a gallery, if you knew how much work it was going to entail, it might have gone either way, right? I mean, you might have, you might have, I mean, said, I don't was, know, right? There were times during, you know, these 12 years that I, I applied for other jobs, other positions within the community to do things like, in the art world, but not as my own business, because when you run your own business, you know, sometimes you look at like, oh, it'd be really nice to have a, a, a regular salary and insurance and a 401k. Maybe I want to do this, but, you know, haven't done anything like that in the last like seven years. But, um, but yeah, it, it is, it's, it's, it, running your own business is tough. And it, there is times that you would want those things just to happen, you know, like have a regular job. But then I think about how long I've been working for myself. And I don't know that I could have somebody else telling me what to do at this point <laughs> in my life. <laughs> you know, I kind of like the fact that I'm my own boss. And yeah, yeah I don't have, have to change that for anything. And I, you know, 
I know a lot of people that make really good money, but they are miserable doing what they're doing. And I may not make a lot of money, but I love, I love what I do. And that's to me is worth more than anything money can do. So you're, I, um, you're sitting with two people, one who could never work for anybody else and another one that hates what he does. Yeah. <laughs> so you can pick out which one is which, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't, it's just life's too short, you know, to, to really hate what you're doing. You know, yeah. you have, it's, it really is, you know, are there things like, like I said, you know, have, has my family made sacrifices because of what I chose? Yes. Are there things that, you know, we w- would like to do or have yes and maybe we will someday but you know it's to me it's not worth going out and working for somebody else to get a bigger paycheck not liking what i do yeah yeah i wouldn't last very long yeah <laughs> they, they would ask me to leave yeah. i say that all the time <laughs> yeah. yeah i want to talk a little bit about pricing before we let off today, because I think that's one of those things that artists really struggle with. And when they're looking at being part of an exhibition or showing in a gallery, you know, it's it's really hard to figure out what like where you should price yourself. And I have this conversation a lot with uh, not only other artists, obviously on the podcast with Wes here, but also when I go in the gallery spaces you know, with people that I have a, a close relationship and we'll talk about like what... Mm-hmm. They'll be honest, like, I think this is overpriced or I think they're underpriced, you know? Um, if you would, take a little bit of time and talk about how you guys go about it as far as pricing and how you converse with the artists as far as if they should be either higher or lower in their pricing. Yeah. Yeah, this is something that comes up, I mean, at probably monthly still, you know, with artists saying, I don't know how to price my work. I need your opinion. And we have a formula that we give people to work from. Um, but I, I will never tell, I will never say, this is the price that you should have on this piece of artwork. Like I, I always make the artist make the final decision. I have had very green artists come in with very high priced items. And I will say to them, it, it may, it's going to be hard for me to sell it at this price. I don't want, like, I don't want you to go down. I don't ever want you to undersell yourself, but I just need you to know that like this, this price may be hard for me to move it out the door. And I say that because you you work with well-established artists that have been doing this for a very, very long time. And every year they go up a little bit and they have, they have worked their butts off to get to the price that they're at. And sometimes people come right out the door and they're going to charge X, Y, and Z for their artwork, but you really have to put in the work to get yourself up to that point. So that being said, like, I will never say to somebody that's too high. I will let them know that it might be hard to sell it. And when I say it might be hard to sell it, it's because the people in town that are buying work, and it may not so much be tourists, but the regular buyers in town, if they do not know who this person is, like, oftentimes they'll be like, what is who is this artist selling for this amount of money when I've never even heard about them? Where did they come from? Where's their background? What they, they, they want to know these things like what, you know? Um, so I'll give you an example. Uh, two years ago, October, I showed a 17 year old. I don't know if you saw this exhibit, but he phenomenal artist. He's now at the, he goes to school in Chicago and he's a color pencil artist and he is going to go far. And his work, 
was not cheap, but it was, it, and it was worth it, a hundred percent worth it. But I only, I, I didn't sell the big ones. And I told him that I'm like, this is your very first solo show and your work is definitely worth what you want to sell it at, but it's going to be hard for me to move it through the door because nobody in the community knows who you are yet. And people look at that. They look at the history of where the artist is coming from. So I gave him my formula and he is still continued to, to, he's doing very well for himself. And we did sell a couple pieces, but not as much as he wanted to. You know, he was showing at that time with Sean O'Mealy. I don't know if you know Sean O'Mealy. He's a local wood worker in town who's phenomenal. And their prices were some somewhere on the same par. And Sean's been doing it for years. And Tanner did tell me, he's like, I appreciated that feedback that you gave me. And he didn't go down in his price. And I, you know, and I was totally fine with that. But I, that's the kind of thing I will talk to people about, like letting them know, like, you should go up every year because everything goes up every year and you should go up a little, you know, don't do huge jumps. I had an artist once do a 50% jump from their biannual exhibit. And I told them, I was like, collectors are going to be like, what the hell? Like, where did this come from? You know, you can't jump that high either. you got to gradually go up. Um, on the flip side, you also can't go down. We, we had a, we had an artist recently that went down in price, and we had a couple collectors that were really upset about it because these people that buy art on a regular basis, they want to know that their art is appreciating, not depreciating. And they want they said, why did I buy this, let's say, 20 by 20 for $2,000 two years ago. And now he's selling them for $1,100. Like you can't do that either. So be consistent, go up gradually. Um, I'm happy to share the formula that, that we share, but always have that extra 50%. Like if you're being represented by a gallery, because once you start showing in a gallery, if you're not already, like that's what they're going to be looking for. Make sure that your price, your pricing is consistent across the board. So what's the formula that you share? Um, we, to do it by square inch, if it's like a 2D artist, you know, set your square inch price. We don't say like what price to set it up, but yeah. set your inch price. And there's two different ones. Like you set your square inch price, but then like if you do square inch pricing, you will notice like once you get to like a 20 by 24, it's, it, even though the formula is correct, it's like the price jumps drastically. So you can continue to do that, but we also have in there, or you do, let's say $2 a square inch from small to 20 by 24, and then you go down to 150 a square inch, just to throw out some numbers, because then it seems more consistent, even though the formula is not incorrect, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then once you find your price, multiply that by two, and that's your, like what your price is, what you need to be getting from that piece, no matter what multiply it by two so that you have a gallery in mind as well. Sculpture and mixed media is different because a lot of people then you have to then you need to put in the price of your your supplies because it could be all over the place. It's not as simple as a 2D piece. Yeah. What about going from one region to, into a different region? So say you show here in Denver and you go down the springs, but like your collector base doesn't know this person. Like you've been doing well, maybe even killing it here in Denver, but all of a sudden, you know, it's like starting from square one again, right? Do you do you lower the price or do you just kind of keep it at the same price point and roll I, with that? I encourage artists to keep it at the same price point. If you have sold your work, I get that it might be in a different community that you've sold your work for that price. 
But how are your collectors in Denver going to feel about the fact that you're selling the same type of work in a different city for 25% less? Like I encourage artists to stay the same. Uh, to give you an example, I have a retrospective show coming up in May. Bill Burgess is a sculptor in town who has passed, but we're going to take pieces of his and his daughter and his son who are still alive. And we're going to put them all together, but his daughter lives in Seattle. And that was what she actually emailed me last night and said, so I'm thinking about cutting my prices drastically because the Colorado Springs market is not the same as Seattle. And I said, I would encourage you not to do that. You know, and I don't know what she's, I haven't seen what her prices are. I said, send them along, I, you know, but I think you have to be consistent no matter where you're showing. Personally. Well, we're on the internet, so I can go to whatever yeah. gallery. If I find out you're showing in Santa Fe, yeah. I can look them up there too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. I mean, and, and the thing is also, like, I know that that's a risk, like showing higher price artwork in our gallery, but I, again, I don't want people to undersell themselves and I don't like Colorado Springs has talent and they need to, it shouldn't matter like, oh, you're in Colorado Springs versus Santa Fe and Denver. People should get, the artists should get paid what they deserve to get paid. You know, I, I, I get that communities are different, but I want people to get paid what they deserve to get paid, not just because they're in a bigger city. So let's, let's talk about collectors. So you have a new collector comes in. Maybe they've never really collected art before. How do you approach that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's actually kind of fun. That's one of, I would say, our favorite things is when somebody tells us it's their first time buying a piece of artwork from a gallery or period. I'm not a pushy salesperson. You know, I, I kind of watch. I feel the room. I watch people. Um, if, if I see somebody engage with a piece, like look at a piece and then go back to that piece, that's typically when I will strike up a conversation. But when people walk in the gallery, I say, please let me know if you have any questions and I let them look. And that's more so like that's what I like to do when I look at art. So I kind of approach it the same way. I'm there to answer questions, but I'm not a helicopter business owner and I don't follow people around. So uh, yeah, I've had many people say, I really like this piece, but I don't know if I can afford it or I don't know if I have the space for it. And what I'll say, and oftentimes I think Gundy says the same thing is if you can't stop thinking about it, then it's probably meant to be yours, but you know, go home and see if you have the space for it. And oftentimes we see them again and sometimes we don't, but yeah, not if you feel something from a piece of art, then I believe that it should be yours. If you feel like if you can't stop thinking about it and it strikes an emotion in you that it, it should be yours. Right. Do you have a lot of collectors that are thinking about approaching it? Cause that's how I would approach it. If I, if, if I like the piece and it's in my budget, uh, I'll, I'll buy it. If, mm -hmm. if, it, if I like the piece and it's way out of my budget, I'm not going to buy it, <laughs> you know, cause yeah. I have a limit. Right. Do you talk to a lot of collectors that these are investments? Mm -hmm. We do we talk about it being an investment. We also, I mean, we also do payment plans for people. We have a lot of art lovers in town that don't have a ton of money, but they really, they, they want to buy art and we work with people like we, you know, I, we want to get art into people's hands and on their walls if that is what they want and that's what they're passionate about. So we work, we work with people, but yeah, I mean, I don't often say this is an investment. You know, that's not the words I would say. I mean, I know in my heart that it is. I I love art. I collect art. I don't have art from everybody in town that I wish that I did because I can't 
I mean, I sell art, but I can't really afford to buy it all the time, you know? So, um, yeah, I, my biggest thing is if, if you can't stop thinking about it, then it should yeah. be yours. I think that's, that's smart. I, I always get kind of worried when people say I'm going to buy art as an investment, you know, but they're not like, like in love with the art, Yeah. you know, and then, yeah. you know, somebody might be killing it now, you know, they're not all, there's not a lot of um, Basquiat's out there, yeah. you know? So yeah, I was just kind of curious because, you know, we don't talk to collectors that often and yeah. uh, that's a totally different approach, you know, or a different aspect of the art world. And they're all different too. They they are all different. Some of them do think of it as an investment. Some of it, ju people just, they want to fill their walls with things that they love. You know, there is a local man in town that does not buy local art. He only buys stuff like he wants to someday have his collection in a museum and he doesn't, in his eyes, buying local Colorado Springs art won't get him there, you know, but he still shows up and supports us by coming and telling us he believes in what we do. So, you know, th there's that, but, you know, every collector is different. Yeah. 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 To that comment, everybody is different and everybody has a different budget for art, but is there a sweet spot when you're selling art? Is there a, a price range that is kind of the sweet spot that people definitely will pull that trigger? Um, you know, on, I would say on, what is that? You know, um, I think under 2000 is, I mean, I know that's a broad range, but that's the sweet spot. And once it gets over 2000, it's a lot more consideration for the people that typically buy from us. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Whereas then I went to Boston and saw all these like 20,000 plus with red dots all over it. And the artwork was not even anywhere, in my opinion, compares to what we show an exhibit in Colorado Springs. And I was just blown away. But that's the big, you know, I was like, wow. That's why another reason I'm like, I don't, I, I encourage people, like, it doesn't matter where you're at. It's, you know, that's what we're going to put it on the wall for, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of interesting because like, even, you know, I, I would imagine there's a difference between the Colorado Springs market and the Denver market. And yeah. can you talk about that? Well, you know, I'm, not, I, I'll be completely honest. I'm not a hundred percent familiar with the Denver market. I don't get up there as much as I used to since I became a mom. And so I don't know the different range of what people are selling for. You guys could probably speak more to that. I, all I do know is the Denver, like Gundy has worked with um, a handful of Denver artists. And for instance, Shannon Mello has gone up there and done a lot of work and she'll come down and give us feedback. And, you know, just, um, I don't know price wise though, like mm -hmm. that it's, that huge of a difference like yeah. i feel what do you guys think i mean i can't say that i haven't really paid attention lately yeah i i definitely think there's um there's a different in the markets but at the same time there's so many galleries it's all over the board yeah. so um you know and and it also depends on where you're headed right like the upper end markets you're going to see the upper end blue chip prices. And if you go to, you know, the art district on Santa Fe, it's all over the board. You can walk away with probably something for 50 bucks easily to, mm -hmm. you know, paying thousands of dollars. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I look at what you guys do and it seems to me compared to what other 
to the other places I go to in and around Denver, seems like it's right on the nose as far as like pricing and stuff. Like I don't have this, you know, reflex when I when yeah. I go view art at your gallery. So um yeah. It, it is interesting though to see mm -hmm. people's different business models, what they show, and then what their price point is, right? Yeah. 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 I have a few artists that work with Michael Warren that all that have also exhibited with me, like Floyd Tunson and Margaret Kasahara. And their pricing is consistent, whether they're showing with him or they're showing with me. And that's, you know, and they they've sold with both of us. So, you know, I don't I think it just depends on who's walking through the door, honestly. And um, yeah, back to encouraging artists to put the price on it that they deserve, like that they've worked towards to put on it, you know. Yeah. Don't lower your price. You know, I've had, we've had artists come to us and say, I had a really bad year. I'm thinking about lowering my prices. And I'm like, you've, you've sold your work for these prices. If anything, don't raise it this next year. If you want to sit, sit on it for a little bit, but it's not, it's not your pricing. It's whatever's going on in the world, you know? Yeah. 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 yeah I think that's great advice. Since I have you on and we're talking to you as a gallery owner, curator and photographer, I've been asking this question a lot as I've been invited recently to show in different exhibitions. How do you feel about signing the front of the photograph? What is um, your take on that? So I sign the back of mine, but it's because of how I changed the medium. When I used to do like the traditional, like matted, like I like, I personally like the signature on the mat, like the old traditional way. I'm not opposed to people signing the front of any type of piece of artwork as long as your signature does not take away from the artwork. Because some people have some crazy signatures and it's like, you that's all I see when I look at your piece. Like you're, be proud of your piece and sign your piece, but don't, your signature should not take away from the piece, whether it be photography, painting, whatever it may be. But I'm, I'm not opposed to it as long as it doesn't deter what you're supposed to be looking at, which is the artwork. Yeah, I uh, had this discussion with Gundaga mm -hmm. when, I, when I dropped off a piece for the holiday show. And I'm old school. Um, I always sign the back of the print. and um, But in doing research, it's all over the board on the internet. And, you know, there's no per se right or wrong. But I definitely have been polling everybody that I know that curates yeah. and just asking, hey, what do you think? Yeah. You know, as... A art collectors, there are collectors that'll be like, where's the signature? Like they want like people, they either want a signature or a signature card or a certificate of authenticity, but it's all over the board as well. Like, you know, it doesn't, it depends on the person. Yeah. But I think as an artist, you should do what it is that you, you should sign your work at least on the back. And again, if you're signing it on the front, just don't be elaborate about it. All of your shows that you've curated are your favorite shows. I know that because you're passionate about what you do. But mm -hmm. is there anything in particular that you're really proud of that you've been able to do prior to this new venture? You know, one of the ones that I um, honestly am most proud of that was also very controversial is um, Hannah Mogul's show last year. Um, it was Fruit and Vulvas. I don't know if you guys remember that, but... She is an extraordinary painter, like 
absolutely one of the most phenomenal painters, in, in my opinion, that we that I have encountered or got to work with. Like she's so precise. Her paintings are just beautiful, and she's just an amazing soul. But the exhibit was so powerful. And yes, most people like can't picture having a vulva on their wall. I get it, but there's so much more to it than just what her subject matter was, you know, like we, we had discussions on sexual abuse and, you know, um, on women, just women in general, women, femininity and what women have overcome throughout the years. And, um, people were really like, I, I love watching like people interact with the show and people walk straight from one gallery into Gunny's gallery with like blinders on, like they couldn't see it, you know? And I encouraged people. I'm like, try to get past the subject matter and just look at the technique because of the fact that she did fruit and vulvas. Like I intermixed them. So it wasn't like all the vulvas on one wall and all the fruit on the other. Like I put it in between. So people had to engage with it and the story behind it and her story and her painting technique. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just really proud of it. You know, I had a lot of people say things, but it wasn't negative things. My mom watched the gallery one day for me and she had one guy that was upset, but I never had anybody say anything to me. And um, I don't know, I'm, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of her and I'm proud that I got to exhibit that work. So that, that's one that stands out, but I really honestly love so many of my shows. I could go on and on. Yeah. 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 I had a conversation recently with Brett Andrus uh-huh. and he was like very excited or thought it was awesome that you had shown Floyd Tunson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. that's a guy that is off the charts. And yet, if I remember a conversation correctly, he was saying that you're the first independent gallery to really show his work in the Springs area. And he's a known person in the area. I was not the first. Um, when Lauren Andrew, well, Lauren Siborowski that owned the Modbo did a small exhibit of his um, of his drawings. She did. For, she actually worked with him first, and that was two years before I worked with him. Um, and I honestly, I mean, she she had the balls to ask him, and I I've known Floyd and uh, respect him a lot. And Wileen, who does a lot of the work for him, came into the gallery one day. And I was telling her, I was like, I was blown away by his um, his drawings at the Modbo. And uh, she said, you know, he'd really love to exhibit with you. And that was probably one of the things I'll never forget. Like, because I, I don't know, I, again, I love what I do. And I think I do a good job, but I don't always go ask people like that. You know, people, Floyd is well known in this community and all in the He's well-known all over, and he is the most humble person. If you have the chance to talk to him, he is an amazing person. And um, I've got to work with him twice on solo shows now, and I look forward to the next time because it's been such an experience. So that's another one. And we've become friends, you know, like that's the thing is I've become friends with a lot of, it's not just a, it's not just a working relationship. But I you become friends with so many of the people that I work with, and that's that's so rewarding. Yeah, that had to feel good that he thought enough of your gallery that it did. he, yeah. you know, he let it be known that he would love to show there. And then, and his second, just a funny story. His second exhibit that he had, he hates doing artist talks, and I said you have to do an artist talk. And him and Wileen decided to do a back and forth question, and it was a phenomenal artist talk. And it was the first time 
my equipment failed and I got them on video, but there was no sound and I was just devastated. Uh. I was so devastated. And he was just, I thought he would, not that he would be mad, but disappointed. And he's like, Abby, things happen. He's like, you got to let it go. And I was in tears. I was so upset about it. And, but he's right. I mean, we're human. We make mistakes and that sucks because it was a really great artist talk that you had to be there to see it. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) He is a really interesting person. Um, We have not had him on the podcast, but I got to interact with him when he had a show up here at Michael Warren. I was just uh, enamored with him and also what you spoke to as far as just him being humble mm-hmm. was totally on the money. Like, you know, he had no desire to really, I mean, he was willing to have conversation, but not really willing to like, you know, talk about himself per se, you know, let's, you know, himself. look at the art, you know, yep. like had zero desire. <laughs> He wants you to tell, like, tell, tell me what you see in this or tell me what you think about this. He would rather say nothing if he didn't have to. Right. Yep. Totally. Yeah. Interesting guy. He is. Um, let's talk about what you're currently showing. We kind of touched on it a little bit, but I want you to elaborate a little bit what, what is currently at the gallery. And then, um, I want you to talk about the shows that you have coming up. Okay. Yeah, right now we have the annual gratitude exhibit, which has um, 156 artists this year. We had almost 400 entries and had to. Jur- we knew that we needed to jury it down to a- around 150 just because of space limitations. So that was really exciting. I would say 10% of the artists are artists that we have never worked with, which is also very exciting. A lot of new names. Um, and then we have John Francis, who everybody knows and loves. So- and showing in the one to one space alongside Kevin Johnson and his Serenity exhibit. And they're both phenomenal exhibits. And coming up, so each month we switch it out. Like these exhibits close this Friday, and then the new exhibits open the following Friday, and there'll be five new solo exhibits. So right now we have one group, one big group show and two solo exhibits, but next month we will have five solo exhibits. And um yeah, very excited about them. All different artists, all local artists, um, except we have one Denver artist. Brett Fox will be showing next month. I, I don't know if you guys know him, but um, and then coming up, we have so typically we have five shows at a time. And then the next show that will just take up one space is the holiday exhibit, if I remember correctly. And then moving forward, <clears throat> 2025 gratitude will be shown in all three spaces and the holiday exhibit will be shown in all three spaces. And then the rest of the time will be individual and group shows. Those are going to be huge shows yeah, because they're already huge shows. So taking up that entire space, that will be amazing. Yeah. And I can't even imagine curating that because like you, like we already discussed, like you got people with all kinds of different frames and different palettes and different Mm -hmm. mediums. Yeah, that'll be fun. It'll be exciting. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. Anything else that you want to promote, talk about, address? I mean, I just really want to thank you guys for taking the time. And um, I've listened to your podcast. I watched you for a long time. And um, just I love what you're doing and really appreciate your support of the arts community in Denver and here. I mean, I just really appreciate it. 
Yeah, this is a passion project for us. We love meeting new artists and gallery owners, and uh, we really, really enjoy and appreciate the time that you've sat down with us today and um, look forward to seeing what you guys pull off because, uh, man, it's impressive. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited for you guys. This is going to be great. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. I appreciate you spending a Sunday afternoon away from your son and your husband. And like we always say, you know, time is the most precious thing that we have. So the fact that being as busy as you are and taking time out of a day that you have off, we really appreciate the time that you spent with us today. And uh, I look forward to what's coming up on your exhibition calendar this next year and just seeing how all this evolves. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Again, check out Auric Gallery at auricgallery.com and follow Auric on Instagram at Auric Gallery. Auric Gallery is located at 125 East Boulder Street, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80903. As usual, you can find all this and more in this week's episode notes for the Tenant Podcast. I'm Todd Pearson. And I'm Wes Brown. Have, Have a, a great, great week. week.